0: Welcome, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and real estate agent here at Renegade Realty Group with Keller Williams. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? Well, RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's RIA, folks. No guru bullshit, no smell of stale coffee, been gay and/or disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where we continue the real estate conversation with people who know way more than we do. If you're ever interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to renegadedetroit.com, meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. All right, legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say today be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. We also recommend you grow up, be an adult, and don't sue us. All right. Time for the Renegade Show Quote of the Week, where I pick a quote that sets a tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And this week's quote is from Mr. George Elliott. No story is the same to us after a lapse of time, or rather, we do read it, are no longer the same interpreters. No story is the same to us after a lapse of time, or rather, we who read it are no longer the same interpreters. And I have three great guests today. I've been looking for this podcast for a long time. I'm going to start with... uh, Mr. Ron the Don Ron Wallraven you all know him he's been on the podcast a couple times before Ron is a full-time real estate investor and owner of Waymark Homes and broker owner of Braven Enterprises. He's a former REO broker with over 20 years of experience, 4000 listed, sold, flipped or wholesale transactions. Before real estate he was in the auto industry for 18 years as a technician. And Ron's body quit and forced him to start another career. That's when he chose to do real estate. Ron was born in Flint, Michigan. He's married to Velma for 32-plus years with four children, three girls, and a boy. The boy, Matthew, works for Ron as a project manager. Velma does interior design. Real estate continues to be a family affair, and he's going to be a grandpa too. So Go to WaymarkHolmes.com or you can check him out on Twitter at Ron Wallraven or look him up on Facebook.com forward slash Ron dot And then I got my first broker in here who somehow survived me in Royal Oak for a couple of years. We got Mr. Steve Quetzaro. Steve was first licensed in real estate in 1980. I told you we're bringing old school today. He had an investor group of family members buying HUD homes on the east side of Detroit during the late 70s and early 80s. At their peak, they had over 100 rentals. He was a landlord for over 40 years and recently just sold his last rental in Warren. He took a break from real estate in the 90s and early 2000s, concentrating on his convenience store and restaurant deli in Warren, all while being a landlord. Since 2003, he's been full-time real estate agent, then broker. He was the foreclosure manager for all of Corporate Real Estate One from 2008 to 2015, managing a team of over 30 agents from all over Michigan, handling multiple types of bank-owned and government-owned and third-party assets. Currently, he is the managing broker at KW Metro in Royal Oak. That's where I started my career. That's how I met him. Although I did submit offers on his HUD pride. I don't know if he ever remembers me from back in the day. I didn't know what I was doing. Since August of 2015, with an office of over 320 agents at this time, foreclosures and HUD homes has always been his specialty. He's been a Fannie Mae broker, although he's not currently, but he is currently still a HUD listing broker. He loves what he does, and at this point in his life, he has a lot of great stories to share and use those as teaching moments. Also, every quarter, he does teach a HUD training class at GMAR for all your agents who are interested You can reach out to Steve on a cell, 248-229-4663, or you can send him an email, steve at stevekatsaros.com, and that's S-T-E-V-E-K-A-T-S-A-R-O-S. And then my current broker, poor guy, Lath Maroki. Laith was born in Baghdad in 1971 in a wonderful middle-class family raised in Chaldean values, beliefs, traditions, and the Catholic faith. Lath had a happy childhood. And started his entrepreneurial dreams early, marking the last time he would ask his parents for money. He got into the resale business, buying, selling, and trading at the local market. Lace high school, college years were more challenging. I'm sure you are aware of the, uh, or you should be aware of the history of Iraq. Iraq was going through a long war with a dictatorial regime, forcing Lath and many like him to flee his own country. Lath and his family left everything they had behind and arrived in Jordan empty-handed. Thanks to family United States, they were able to make their way here to Michigan. Lath arrived in the U.S. in 1991, working four jobs, putting in an average 120 hours a week of work. He was nothing but optimistic about the future. In the first 24 months, he paid all his debts, saved enough to purchase his first home. One year later, he started his first business. He always has a passion for real estate. Lath started investing in Detroit in the mid-1990s. While getting into a few, uh, few retail businesses, Lath got his real estate license in 2001. The early 2000s were the peak of Lath. In 2007, Lath got into Keller Williams' franchise, which also happened to be the beginning of the recession. The next three years proved challenging, but not without opportunity. With his business expenses mounting, Laith's investments and flips kept him above water. His brokerage bounced back by 2010, he was able to open another branch in 2012. He also has his own real estate team right here in the office. It's the Call Lathe team in mid-2018, starting with one agent and since then building to 10. He's getting after it. After hitting the milestones they set in 2019, the Call lathe team has the goal of helping 205 families this year, though I'm sure he will take more. Right, sir? Oh, yeah. Sky's the limit. So if you got more, you can send it to him. Mm-hmm. Leith's passion in life is to help people around him and be the wealth maker for the ones in his circle. The journey continues. You can reach out to him on his phone, 248-530-7275, or you can email him, lath L-A-I-T-H, at com, which is a great website. Thank That's you. great URL, by the way. That is his website as well, Lath dot com or you can look them up on Facebook Facebook.com forward slash call Lace. First of all, thank you guys for doing this. We've been trying to get this together for a little while. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Thank you, thank thank you for, so much. For having us. Yeah. Two of these poor guys <laughs> had to be my broker and get all my angry calls. The other guy, I think he's hopefully pretty happy that I'm working for him. So he hasn't been tortured by me. So Bear that in mind. You know how hard I could be to work with sometimes if I don't get what I want. So, But this is actually how I met these two gentlemen here, too. So if they can handle me, uh, I don't know. I think that says a lot about them, too. So thank you for coming. And I wanted to start with the most basic of questions, some of which was addressed in your bio. And anybody who wants to start can. But I'm curious about what made you start your first business? Not even your real estate business, but what made you start your first business? And whoever wants to start first can go.
1: I'll take it if you want. Um,
0: this is Steve, by the way.
1: Yeah, this is Steve. Hi. Uh, so basically, 1976, I met this beautiful woman and her name was Mary. And uh, her very ethnic uh, Greek father, uh, since we're both of Greek heritage, uh, kind of took me under his wing and said, Hey, we're going to buy a house. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Meanwhile, I I knew nothing about fixing up houses or buying houses. I couldn't tell you a channel lock from a straight nose or I didn't know anything about fixing up houses. And uh, he was uh, a wonderful man that really got me kickstarted in the business, got me kickstarted as a landlord, took me under his wing and I had my two brother-in-laws and uh, we just started buying houses. So our, our first uh, honeymoon palace that we moved into, my wife and I, we paid fifty one dollars for. True story. Fifty one dollars? That was not a palace, was $51. it? Fifty one dollars. There wasn't even a, an outlet that was still left in the house. So you talk about stripped, Ron, right? right? I mean, this was stripped right down to everything was gone. But it was it was good bones. It was right on the Altar Road, right at the divide with Gross Point. And I grew up on the Gross Point side of the tracks, but the, the, the poor side of Gross Point tracks. So I was very familiar with the area. We we all lived on the east side of town, and uh, we just started buying houses. And then uh, before you know it, we had accumulated almost a hundred houses, over a hundred houses, including my brother-in-law, my father-in-law. And um, back then, you would go, uh, you would put your bids in in a sealed envelope, and you had to take them downtown to the FBI building. It was some, old right
0: some old school <laughs> shit right here. Yeah,
1: old school shit. So once a week they would open the bids and everybody would be in the room and it was like, you know, packed like they are that somewhat that where they were like they were at the sheriff's sales back, not too far back. But similar kind of, you know, so you really didn't know what anybody was bidding. It was sealed bid. And then we just started noticing that people weren't bidding on houses. And then it became like, geez, let's just just put a dollar bid. So we had, I can't tell you how many houses we got for a dollar. A dollar. Yes. That's Two amazing. family flats for a dollar. Needless to say, obviously they were trashed, you know, beat up pretty good, but uh, my father-in-law had a commercial painting business, so he had all that equipment, uh, scaffolding, spray guns, all that back, you know, and then, uh, so that was a big part of these, was also, you know, getting that past that hump, and then we would just hire people, and we'd watch them, and we'd watch them, and we'd watch them, and we'd learn, and by the third or fourth time, you would be able to do what somebody did. Uh, so most of the other stuff, mechanicals, things like that, we obviously hired out, but some of the basically gut stuff that we were doing inside the house we learned to do and uh, that was really my indoctrination into the real estate and then it was in 1980 when I decided well shoes I might as well get some commission out of this deal too so got my license at the same time uh, you know that we were buying the houses and uh, not too long after that I, I bought a convenience store it was and that was in St. Clair Shores and well, I had that also then. We bought a restaurant in Warren right across from the tech center. So we were juggling a lot of, you know, balls in the air. And the beauty of all that, it kept my wife at home with the kids. She could raise the kids without me around and, uh, it had a stream of income. So that's what it started. So that, that's my indoctrination into, re, into real estate, buying hut houses in the late seventies and all the way to the eighties.
0: It's crazy that your first house needed that much work. Usually you're like, don't pick a house that needs everything. Oh, and Steve's like, no, no, this is the one we're doing. We're doing this $51 need
1: everything house. <laughs> yeah, I kept that house as a rental for over 10 years. You know, we, we lived in it for less than a year, and then we kept it as a rental. And then I, anyway, that's it. It was a good story. All
0: right. Who's next?
2: Well, I don't know if I've actually started a business in my life, Uh the real estate thing just you know you work for a broker mm-hmm. incidentally I used to work for lathe also back from 2008 to
3: 2014
2: with me not for me yes with you yeah so I had the bigger office than you at that point I think yeah right yeah you did Anyway, so you I had like half out, the
0: office, didn't you? What's that? I heard the stories. You had like half
3: the office. Yeah, I mean, my training
2: room in the back of the Troy yeah. office. at sixteen was my office. Yeah,
3: sixty well, percent of our listings was his. So, yeah, yeah. You know, at the time,
2: brought two hundred and twenty mm. listings with me from Remax back in two thousand eight.
3: That's but, crazy number of listings, Ron. I
2: mean, I mean, Steve can attest to that. Of that kind of management, right? It's oh difficult my. to do, and <laughs> you don't get paid much on every little commission because it nope. doesn't
1: work much. And jump through a lot of hoops.
2: Oh, yeah. Going as good as your last <laughs> deal. Uh, but anyway, so I mean, I started out an auto mechanic. I think many of you know my past story. Uh, and, of course, being an auto mechanic and a car dealer, you kind of run your own show anyway. I did didn't get nobody ever paid me to show up for work ever. Uh, so we had to come in, hustle. You worked flat rate. You turned hours for... You gave bids, in a sense, to do brake jobs, and uh, at the height of my career, which would have been 96 to 98 when I got hurt, uh, I had three helpers working me with th- three hoists and two flat stalls, and I was basically just test driving cars when they were done. So I would get a piece of their action from the hourly flat rate that went into my pocket plus my own turn time. Uh, that's where I learned to make a lot of money quickly and effortlessly. Uh, and then in 98, I hurt my back really bad. Uh, my son, who works for me now, has never known me to be a mechanic. Uh, he always knows his dad to be a real estate guy. That's a funny
0: um, thing. Right?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I think about it, when I when I turned the 20-year mark at the beginning of or 2019, it was kind of a surreal thing for me because I've literally had two careers in my life. And even in my real estate career, I've done it twice, right, because I went broke in 2009-ish, 10-ish from the REO market, just tanking and all that. And my world is a little different than Steve's. I was working for b- banks direct as opposed to the government. Um, but anyway, so in 98, I hurt my back, got out of surgery. Doctor says, you ain't fixing any more cars. I said, I don't know what I'll know what i do. is I'll I'll sell real estate. That's what I'll do. So my dad says, he looked me in the eye he said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. So anyway, because I was a sh- I was a shop rat. I wasn't a, a, a real estate guy. It's not what I thought I could be. Right. So the broker I started working for had an REO account. I just, he basically came to me one time and said, Hey, Ron, I want you to do this account for me, which uh, in 2002, I think that was or 2001, it was AmeriQuest mortgage. And I turned that one into option one and to Franklin to Novastar. To the height of it in 2005 through nine, it was five clients maybe. And we were running three to 400 listings at any given moment. Nine people, all of that stuff.
0: I don't even uh, know how you manage that. That's crazy.
2: Well, you know, something unlike a retail agent who I don't think retail agents can have 300 listings. I think that's a nightmare. You have to have a bigger team. Maybe some of the bigger color guys, uh, like Mark Z, who obviously is not killer any longer, but those guys have a different style. Of what REO is? REO is more management than <coughs> management of the houses than the people, really. But at the end of you know, at the end of that run, things just started dwindling, dwindling away. So I guess you could consider that I, I created that world, right? I had to make those people happy. It's either it keep five people happy, and it is three hundred people. If That's got, true. If you got three hundred retail, right? Although I was thinking the other day, if I I did roughly about thirty two hundred REO sales, if I if I did a BPO for every one of those, which I did, at least did three BPOs if I had it for longer than thirty days, and a couple monthly marketing reports, I've literally done thousands of BPOs, and so which is why today it serves me well in my wholesale business because I can generally know what a house is worth quickly. Uh, and I know Detroit like the back of my hand in regards to streets and numbers and block numbers and all that. Because in, in the mid-2000s, most of our product came out of Detroit. It wasn't in the suburbs kind of like it is now. If there's any REO at all, it's generally in the burbs. Um, and incidentally, I mean, I'm not an REO broker now. I prefer not to. If you come to me and say you want me, you want to pay me a 1000 bucks for a BPO, I say go over to that guy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have no desire to do a BPO in my life ever again. It really helped us learn the business, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree that my my talent today comes from all of that perseverance through all of that stuff. And in in the back in my REO days, I was more I was the disposition guy. I was the one that took the offers, took gave them to the asset managers, and facilitated that. Which is kind of is exactly what I do today. In my team, I'm the guy that sells them. So the negotiating side of that is always what I've been good at, you know, knowing human nature, how to look you in your eye and stay put, or to take your offer, right, that kind of stuff. And Jeremy can do a test to that now, right? Sometimes I just know, like, don't do nothing.
0: <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> how often that works.
2: They call me back when you got the deal, right? Yep. You know, the offer shows up in my assistant's box, I'll sign. Yes! Right. So anyway, so, and, and God's been good to me in that business. So I... Like I said, I went broke 2009-ish from the REO just tanking. I uh, revamped, got the team dwindled down to one assistant. Um, And uh, that girl hung out as long as we could. During that time, I went to Phoenix and to D.C., Baltimore area to try to flip houses with a good investor friend of mine from Michigan. Uh, Both of those were bust in regards to deals. But learning how to plop into a neighborhood where you have no clue what's going on, learning the <laughs> MLS and driving the neighborhoods like we did for REOs was the talent that's got me today where I can do some high volume man. And I am more of a macro manager as opposed to a, a manager in a sense. I can hover and control a lot of stuff and not go, go crazy over that. Yeah, you don't micromanage me. You're no, actually I, great to work for. Yeah, it's I, like, here's
0: what I want. Go, go do it. it. Okay.
2: And I, I will. Just recently, raised up one of my acquisitions guy to a more of a CEO an operations manager, and that's been the best thing I've done in in the last couple of years of the REO build out or the the wholesale build out. Um, and he's taken a bull by the horns. And I just say, I need <clears> this <throat> done. He goes, and I said, call me back when you got a plan. I'll approve it or not approve it. Uh, If it doesn't involve money, you can probably just go ahead and do it, Uh, which is very nice to be able to just, uh, which is kind of where I was with the REO stuff in those days where I had had a closing coordinator, I had a a main admin, I had a bookkeeper, I had two buyer agents. So we had a good team moving forward that was very efficient. Um, I guarantee if the REO had stayed the same, I'd still be doing that. No question. Just because I, I mean, I was forced out of it and went broke. And did everything except file bankruptcy. And I, I'm still dealing with one, one a second mortgage on my primary is still chasing me because I lost two houses in that run. Uh, so it's interesting how that, And it, it, what's interesting is my REO experience got me cash for keys on those two houses too.
1: So I was the guy on the other side, well, hold up, like, right? yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i out, like, yes. I can get more than that. Yeah.
2: The, the, the broker, the guy from Bay City, because I had a lake property up in Lake Ogamaw that we lost. And the, and I left the, the, it was it was actually a Fannie Mae file, actually, and they wouldn't give me the money. You know, they weren't gonna do any cash or keys. So I so I I cleared everything out and left a little pile of stuff in the living room. <laughs> they said yes. And that guy was so mad at me because he couldn't lock it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just knew how to do it. <laughs> That's how you play the game, right? so you should have given me that 3000 bucks because it just cost you that. Yep. Anyway, so, but then in my primary in, in, in Troy, I I collected cash for keys on that deal. And that was at the broker. We knew each other. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, we all knew each other. Well, that would have been 2011 when that all came down. Uh, and I just recently got back to I own my own house now my own primary which was kind of interesting when I probably bought and sold 300 400 houses in the last 4 years as a as a wholesaler I've owned a lot more houses that way than I than I but I just bought my own just recently which praise the lord for that to happen you know hard money and those types of and, and lenders are just like in my they're in our sphere right so you know how to maneuver through that to get what you need and uh, it's worked out i've got a couple older kids my son works for me uh jordan is that my oldest is a math teacher up in Midland, michigan and i got two younger ones that we homeschool um which allows us to travel a little bit you know kind of do that stuff so it's all going good
0: well you're one of the guys uh when i wrecked my second business that i looked to is like if ron could come back i could come back so that's part of the reason why i want to have you on the podcast it's a it seems like if you're going to stick around long enough, it's impossible not to take hits, get knocked down, that kind of thing. No so um, I looked up to you a lot about that. Leith, how did you get
3: started? Uh, well, I don't know how I'm going to follow with the two of you. But. <laughs> you had to get smuggled out of Iraq. <laughs> yeah. I think you got everybody yeah, beat, man. different
1: obstacles, right? At least we were freaking water. born here. Yeah. Well,
3: um, I actually – uh, since I was a young kid, I, I love owning my own business. I um, didn't see myself – I didn't see the opportunity for in, in working for somebody. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me since I was a little kid. I mean, my first business really was selling socks in the streets of Baghdad back when I was 15 years old. So that was, I used to buy it from uh, someone who used to supply the um, stores, uh, buy it in dozens, uh, and stand right outside his door, sell it singles, and made good money. And that was the time where... I mean, I, I haven't asked my parents for money since I was like 14, 15. So that was my That's first amazing. business, really. Uh, coming to the U.S., uh, working – so I was working four jobs, uh, two nights a week. I did not come home. So it was like a 6 o'clock this morning until 1 o'clock the next day, morning, or third day, whatever. Um so you could put all the hours in the world and then your income is limited. Uh, and, you know, you, you work 120 hours, you make 120 hours worth, uh, versus owning your business. The sky is a limit. So that's really my mindset. That's how, that's what kind of like got me into, um, getting into business. Uh, I have a background. I'm a carpenter, Finnish carpenter from back home. Um, not, well, I shouldn't say I'm a carpenter, but I worked for a Finnish carpenter back home. Something I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yes. <laughs> um, I worked for a Finnish carpenter. I came here and worked for a lumberyard. Uh, that was my first job, uh, real job here in the U.S. Um, but I needed the money to, so the first two, three years, I had to work hard to establish my capital. Mm-hmm. Came to the U.S. O- owing almost 40 grand to people. Uh, my parents, I have a sister who's a handicap. Uh, I was we ran
1: back then money,
3: yeah. That was real money
1: 91. back then,
0: too. That's, what, like, that's, yeah. that's so, probably like $150,000 now or some shit like that. Probably,
3: right? yeah. yeah. That's a lot of man, but that's, I'm telling you, we saved and worked hard and paid off my debt, bought my first house in Oak Park, uh, 92, ended 92. Um, and then uh, in uh, 94, I love movies, so I opened a video store. Uh, I'm Chaldean, so we love retail, so we got into the retail. So from there, I had the open uh the video store for uh, about two years, and a big mega store came open next to me because I was doing so well. And then he purchased my store from me, uh-huh. came to me and said, sorry, it's just business, but I'd like to have your accounts. I had about 3,000 uh, 3, accounts in my uh store. So he paid me good money for it. Then I opened uh, a retail store, a convenience store in Shelby, Um, and then I bought one in Harperwood. And, uh, in 2002, I just, uh, uh, couldn't deal with the retail anymore. And in that time, I was getting into real estate. Um, you know, getting into the investment part, uh, the repair part, you know, uh, stuff like that. And then in 2002, it was the time when I said, I'm out of the retail. I'm focusing on 100% real estate. And the early 2000s were great. I mean, every, everyone in real estate made a lot of money. Uh, and I made it quite a few good investments at the time. And then just like Ron in 2009, I almost, you know, lost everything basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what kept me going was my flips, you know, so, uh, flipping holding was the game. And, and that's what kind of like kept the income coming and kept the, uh, bills being, being paid. At the time I had a, you know, we had the, still the real estate company. Uh, our expenses at the time were like forty, fifty 50 grand a month. I mean, it, it was big expense and, uh, the company was not doing so well. So the, the, the cash calls were every month. It was crazy. Um, then we had some investors who wanted to bail out. Uh, we end up, uh, purchasing them out, uh, me and two other partners. And, uh, we took it, uh, from where it was in 2008 to 2010. We start showing profit and it's been profitable since then. Uh, we opened our Rochester office in 2012 and, uh, I sold most of my shares uh, a couple of years ago to Joe Delia. And now it's, uh, focusing on growing my team. Uh, and, you know, I'm still in the investment, investment game, uh, trying to hold some. Uh We've been flipping between, I don't do a lot of flips, but I do between three and five a year. So, uh but the hold game is where I'm intending to be. Uh But just to ask, uh, answer your question on how I got into the business world, it's all about the opportunity because your opportunity is limited if you're just working for someone. So. That's true.
0: Well, I hope I established with these stories and this introduction that these men know what they're talking about. And we were talking about it before. It's easy to be great over short distances, but, uh, over a very long period of time, it's very challenging. So that's where a lot of my questions are going to go today for the listener. We're going to try and look at this thing from 25, 35,000 feet. I am going to get to the micro questions that a lot of you posted on Facebook, For us to answer, but I think probably the greatest value these men can add to you is trying to think in terms of quarter centuries instead of quarters of years. Right. Which really leads me. I'm just going to come out and ask it like, let's just come right out of the gate. Whoever wants to start can start. What was your single greatest mistake? And if you can't narrow it down to one, I'll accept two or three. But usually there's at least one I could think mine. You know, it's like I know what my greatest mistake was. But let's just start about the the dirty, the down and dirty, and just start with what was our greatest mistake?
3: Are you talking like in <clears throat> uh, business
0: or life? <laughs> yeah. We could say business or life. Uh, I got, well, they're really the same <clears throat> thing, right? It, 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 mm-hmm. Part of why you guys are here, too, is you're extremely authentic. There's no two Lace. There's no two Rons. There's no two – it's Steve, Ron, Lathe. every time I meet you, every time I talk to you. So it's kind of one of the same thing, but
1: uh, – Well, with me, uh, you know, having uh, – similar to Lathe, we had – you know, I owned a convenience store, and we took, a, we took a business that was actually closed down by the police for selling to minors. So it really had a bad rap. And – when I sold it to my partner eight years later, we were the number one beer store in Macomb County. So we were doing over a million dollars in gross sales without liquor, and back when cigarettes were eight bucks a carton, right? So it was a lot of sales in a very short amount of time and you know, the promoting that you had to do and the time and energy that you put into that business. And and then at the same time, for whatever reason we bought a a restaurant deli that was really just a deli. And then I converted it into
3: a restaurant because it was a problem no, Oh, that's food. a mistake right there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm, you know, we got a party store and we've got a restaurant going. Uh, so my biggest mistake was not pulling the plug when I should have. And uh, because things were going along pretty good, we were doing all right. Um, and then we hit, you know, one of the downturns, gang, and guess what? It's coming. Okay, we hit, we hit a downturn in those businesses, let alone the real estate part. And I should have recognized that and, and pulled a plug. But, you know, when you're in a, you're raising a family and you're worried about how you're going to support your family, we, we stuck it out. We stuck it out. We stuck it out. And, uh, I wish I would have pulled the trigger quicker to go into real estate full time because I really didn't go back into real estate till 2003 full time. And I wish I would have pulled it about 10 years because I, I, I had a rough 10 year patch maintaining those businesses. Uh, you know, same time being a landlord, but, I wish if I go back, I would have made the jump full-time into real estate much sooner.
0: Yeah, sunk costs. It's hard to let go, isn't it? That's exactly what I did, by the way. I did the same thing. I as urban Detroit wholesalers are circling the toilet. I just didn't accept reality. I thought I could work my way out of it. But you actually can make mistakes so big that the only way you can get out is to start over. And I just wouldn't let go either. Now I understand it from the outside in, sunk cost. But when I was in it, like I didn't see anything else. Ron actually showed up to my house one time. I had to sign a deed back over. I just did it. Like, I was like, I'm going to fix this some way. Some I'm still fixing it by the way, but I thought I was going to fix that the company. And yeah, I did the same thing. It was terrible. I didn't do it for 10 years though, Steve, that's freaking heroic. By the way, uh, I'm going to say it. Hopefully, no one doesn't get me in trouble. It's also Greek as fuck to, to buy a restaurant or a deli. <laughs> like, and you're like, that's Chaldean as fuck to get you. You're like, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you haven't lived in Detroit, it's one of the reasons why I love being here. I said it's-
2: party store the other day in Arizona. i like, what's a party store? Yeah. You don't know what a party store is? I that's lived
0: like- here for seven months before. I'm like, party store? Man, they really yeah. like their parties here. No,
1: they mean liquor store. I'm like, right.
3: oh, I get it.
1: Yeah, that's we were, how we were, fresh we I was. Uh, we were the non-Chaldean party store. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: we're like, what we're what year was that? Uh, we were 82 to 89. Yeah, that's and, uh, <laughs> we, you know, that's the
3: peak the... of the Caldean party stores there. Oh, man. Yeah. Gas stations too, right? We used to yeah, have now, now, tr- yeah.
1: truckload sales in the parking lot of whole semis of Pepsi, whole oh, like semis cow, yeah. of Coke, selling them out of, right out of the semi. Mm-hmm. I just put a stock boy out in the yard, you know, and that's yeah. all he did.
3: We made like three we used to leave them guy. out in the parking lot. Yeah. 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 Overnight. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
0: How much stuff did you get stolen? How could you do that? do I guess it works right It comes with the business
3: right? yeah. well greatest mistake i uh beside getting my broker license um that's hilariously <laughs> besides that obviously uh i think i think um maybe trusting people a little too much and um not pulling the plug on some uh, so, given people the benefit of the doubt that's probably uh, one of the Absolutely. mistakes that i uh uh i would probably regret the most um people when people disappoint you are the probably and me to me i take it to heart and that's probably affect everything including my business my personality my um the way i look at myself uh because you feel like you're played you know you're you're dumb so that's not a not a good feeling. No, so I know I think, exactly
0: how that feels, by yep. the way. It's terrible. Yeah.
3: So I think my 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 weakness is to uh, uh, think of people uh, in the best way possible. And I think that cost me a lot of money. So
2: Yeah, yeah I would agree that uh, I think as honest people with integrity that are just looking to make a buck to feed their family, I always look at things like, how do I feed my family with what I'm doing? Because I think an entrepreneur has a certain mindset about I mean, when I, when I go to people's houses now and they've got cars and furniture, I think about how am I going to flip that? Like, who's my buyer? That's exactly what I'm thinking, right? And I think as entrepreneurs, that's what we do. So I would agree that weakness slash mistake is just being long suffering. And I've done it twice. Uh, in the, uh, when I was a mechanic, I was hurting. I, I nursed my back for three years easy before I just, my body just finally gave up. It forced me to do what I ended up, what I'm doing today. And then in 2007 and eight, when REO was just drying up, I refused to believe that there's not going to be any REO to sell. But the way that the electronic world is really what flipped the flipped around what we do because it made it simpler for the banks, the government to, to, uh, dispose of those assets as opposed to the way we were doing it. I mean, when I was doing BPOs in 2001, we would take photos with a regular camera. <laughs> It's old school right They'll here. Go drop them off in, at the oh, yeah. store, get developed. It was grueling. Buy a bunch of glue sticks, stick <laughs> them to a piece of paper, <laughs> and then overnight them to the asset manager. I think about that today, how archaic that is. I'm going, there's no way I would do that today. And I remember that back in 2005 and six when they were transitioning to electronics, I bought this, uh, I was at a REMAX office then, and the Realtor.com people came in. Because that's when the website started kind of really coming about, right? That would have been more like 2002. But they sold this, like, media package, right? It came with a digital camera. It was a Kodak one, right? This thing weighed, like, 800 pounds, right? I wore that camera out using it. It 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 didn't even have SD card. It had those bigger ones. I forget what they're called now. But that would – and then one of the main – when it, when Equator, which you guys know what Equator is yeah, know, for short sales and just management, the people prior to that came to me and said, Hey, Ron, can you help us develop this website? So I'm thinking, You mean I could upload photos and I could like do it online and hit submit? Yes. That's like, that's like awesome. Just, wait a minute. But at the end of the day, <laughs> that's really what put me out of business because it allowed more entry level people to do what we did, you know, because I was, I always had a reputation with the especially as just being that guy. They could count on me to be on time, not to lie cheaters steal with them, because I knew that they fed, they were feeding my family. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna double up on a deal just for one deal and give up thirty hundred of them. That's not gonna happen, right? So I, and it's interesting, is how, you know, it's not a mistake, but I, I persevered through that and got that reputation of being the honest REO guy. That's worked for me today is because when people come to me, they believe what I tell them. You got more offers? No, you're the only one. Okay, they believe that, right? And that's tough. That's that's a. And there's lots of guys that were doing it's what huge. we do. That was huge back then. Yeah, yeah. That they're, they're, we could name three or four right off the top of our heads that would just. Oh yeah. I would say you you want to make an offer in that house? Don't come to me. You need to go straight to that guy because there's no chance I'm getting that deal for you. Yep.
4: None.
0: Yeah, That's exactly why the whole strategy of going directly to the listing broker became such a big thing during the REO times, and yeah. that that was the game. I did the same thing. Actually, I don't know if you remember, but we actually did a deal together before I even knew you as REO. Yeah. I was trying to look to find the address, but I couldn't find it. I'm going to find it. You probably That's how remember. I would
2: remember it. It yeah, the address.
0: it would be the address. Yeah. But I, I tossed all my Urban Detroit Wholesaler stuff when I started over again. But somewhere in the pile,
2: there is yeah. that. Yeah, it was pretty terrible during the REO days. Yeah. So, I, I mean, of course, my long-suffering attitude kept a lot of staff on staff that that broke me. You know, the 2009 window with a few people that obviously late at that time knew those people because they were in his office, and we just dwindled that. And I just I just paid off one of those people. Hmm. just like uh, like about six months ago Hmm. because of payroll, just like, hang out, hang out. It's going to be different. And, of course, it didn't. And, of course, they trusted me to do what I said I was going to do, and I've done that. It just you know, took a little longer. That's yeah. Long. Just, yeah. You know, I, I, I'll gladly pay you a hamburger tomorrow. I just don't have the hamburger today, right? I'm not going to go anywhere. You can Google me and find me. For you know that that's from
3: Popeye. Just yeah, so that's,
4: yeah,
0: I was going to say, how many people have actually developed film? How many people know it? pop? we're going to have to throw in some. Yeah, some you, more
3: you had a good crew though. Oh yeah, then. absolutely. You had a good crew.
2: Yeah, and, and most of those people were, you know, they were part of the church I belonged to, or they were just in my sphere that way. Um, and they were just good real estate people my main is my main office manager karen askell she had been in business 20 years prior to ever working for me in 2005 i think she came and with her with those people i could just say you just do you just get the job done if you got a money issue then you come to me otherwise i don't want to hear about it i on your screen it says is it closed yet that's all <laughs> i wanted to do you know if you got to give up a thousand bucks to get it done you ask me first and then give it up If you're at the closing table, we're not walking away because of 500 bucks. You get it done, right? Because we don't make money unless we close. And of course, a lot of buyer agents around town—they just live off of the contracts, not off of closing. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. So,
1: there was a there was a lot of dirty business Mm -hmm. in this part of the business, and you know, guys like Ron and you know, Lath, when you. Communicating with people like that, you knew they were you were getting this, a fair shot. Your your offer was even being presented. There was so many, so much of that dirty stuff that was going on that you know, people would go MIA, missing in action, stealthy. You'd hear nothing back. You'd present an offer. You'd send an offer. Nobody would even acknowledge your email. Yeah. You'd call there. Nobody would ever pick up the phone. Uh, and mysteriously, you know, all of a sudden the, the property's pending on the market mm-hmm. yeah, within for a day sure. or so, right? <laughs> yeah. And in those days you have to fill out the form to send it to
2: the asset manager, mm-hmm. right? You didn't know, it wasn't no like online thing to submit yeah. it to actually have a trail. So you could easily. Yeah. There's a lot of, that. a
1: lot of manipulation yes. going on in the, you know, people trying to catch both ends of the transaction. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it was very frustrating, you know, very frustrating for a lot of agents. So, you know, some of the frustration you feel today is is nowhere near no what that was so not the same and,
3: and and it kind of built a stigma a stigma against real estate agents that yes. you know they're greedy or whatever and that's why we need to coach more people to be more ethical you know just yeah. just do the right thing mm-hmm. you know
0: that's why my story is so funny to me that's how I understood agents mm-hmm. so like I'm working on it by the way I'm in therapy so I don't and you guys are not included in this right but my loathing of real estate agents came from those reo days because you're absolutely right you were getting no fair like you had to figure out ways around it and you realized how corrupt it was and how useless it was and that really had a profound effect on me when joe actually eventually recruited me i was like i'm never going to be a real estate agent. like that, that's how set i was i'm glad i changed my mind i'm glad actually joe changed my mind um, i'm glad i did but that that was like you're, you nailed it right there Leith. like that that was imprinted on yep. on my head, but if you so. check
3: today, I guarantee you it's more than you half that. are gone. Yeah. More also, the ones who did these yeah. deals, they're not in the business anymore. Yeah. The yeah. down and
2: dirty REO guys back in the early two thousands, they're all they're all landlords. Yep. Because the mentality of that REO guy is different than the retail. Because the REO guy today is a retail agent. He's just a retail agent that happened to land a land an account mm-hmm. because he's a relationship manager. He's not a property manager. We were property managers. I mean, getting with garbage and squatters and the, I mean, all of that stuff, I, I it just makes me like cringe every time I remember that stuff. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I mean, lockboxes. People steal my lockboxes. Like, yes. You know, I had to start imprinting my name on the back of them so I could find them.
0: Or my favorite, steal the key out of the lockbox. Oh, yeah. oh, God. The way I
2: saw that was put a key on top of the electric meter. <laughs> yeah. So when they call me and say, the key's gone, I said, well, go in the back. And oh, by the way, stay on the phone with me. And then when you're done, you're going to put the key back so I know it's there. And that worked for a
3: while, but yes. yeah, yeah. Agents don't know how easy they got it today versus yeah. what was happening in the early two thousands. So, yeah, we, well, you guys brought we we up used some to
1: manage the whole go ahead. aspect of the REO. So, when you yeah, get so the assignment, days. right, right, we go out there and a place was full of debris. So, you're doing the trash out and, and doing fronting the, that yeah, money, do, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and fronting that money, doing the rekey, you know, doing whatever it takes to get that property, and that's coming out of your pocket, right? So, you're you know, you've got to pay your guys locally. So they show up every time and get you and keep you going, but there was you know there's a <laughs> point where you're floating a lot of money out there, hoping to get
3: it back and
1: then fighting to get it back quite yeah. often too because the banks were just
3: stupid about. Well, stuff. they also had a requirement to see your bank account having X amount of money per mm-hmm. listing at the time. Well, uh, at, at the end of that
2: run, it. they needed to make sure you had the resources to handle yeah. it.
3: Yeah,
2: because I, I guarantee when I looked back on things four or five years ago, that's the one thing that really put me out of business. Is I couldn't carry. I had not gotten reversed to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars that I carried that and I couldn't carry it anymore. And that's when I just had to give it up. Like, I can't do this. And I didn't cross the I and dot the T. You're not paying me. That makes no sense to me. You got a check and you, it's like, I mean, like, a, no, let's not go there because I'll just like yell and scream.
0: <laughs> I don't know how you guys did it because I could tell you from the outside looking in. It looked, yeah, you had amazing opportunity, but I I knew how much work that was. I'm like, man, they must be making a ton of money to do this. like I was like, they got to do all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, it just seemed like
2: well, let's put that in perspective. My best month ever was the first month I came to Keller, Troy, July of 2008. I did 41 deals and made 100 grand. So do the math. All right, that's pretty good. so if you do the math in regards to the split of all that, and I had to give part of that to the broker. I mean, we're talking like 1800 bucks a deal, which is why those REO guys double up. Yep. Right? Yeah. $3,600 do all that work that we do when we wash the house for six months? Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's just not, it's not, what the REO guys do today is not what we did then. Not one, not one minute of one day.
0: You guys also brought up a great point. From the time I started, which I am definitely the youngest, nowhere close to you guys, I was like right in between where half of them still had picture books and then half were online in like yeah. 2005. And I know I didn't really know what I was doing to like 2014 to be quite frank, but <laughs> I still did a lot of stuff, but I didn't have to do the very beginning. You guys have seen the industry change. Multiple times, which kind of brings me
1: to five cards.
4: Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, don't remember. As As agent, I
1: say I wrote my first offer on a stone tablet, just so you know. <laughs> Tablets yeah. before everybody else, yeah. right? As an
2: agent, I don't remember the books. I remember trying to buy a house with the books. Yeah, me too. But PC Access was in place when I got in, which yep. would be totally archaic today's world. Let me well, think.
0: I start in a small ass town, Pullman, Washington, so there's like. I like to joke with people is uh 30,000 people, 20,000 students and 10,000 wheat farmers. That was it. This little town Pullman Washington all the way out in Eastern Washington. So yeah, we didn't exactly get like top notch technology, like some of these Metro Detroit areas were got. So we were still doing a lot of flipping through books. And I remember thinking this is a terrible way to do it. You know, not that I had a better way to do it. It was like, I was like, how do you guys sell anything this way? This is like, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the reasons why too. I never wanted to be an agent, but now the technology—it's man—it's entirely different. Even from the short time I've been doing this, it's not even the same thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's,
2: that's, it's high tech <laughs> moves fast. That's why my wife always complains about me on my phone because I can sell. You, you know, you can get a Wi-Fi connection in an airplane. Mm -hmm. And you can do iMessaging for free, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I can sell houses on an airplane thirty thousand feet going six hundred miles an hour. I can do that.
0: Well, the speed of business now, even compared to when I started in two thousand five, it's way better. Like it's almost insane. I gotta when people I, I do a fair amount of out of country work too for out of country investors. And I have to constantly remind them, like, hey, you need to sign this. Like, what's the rush? I'm like, I don't think you understand. The pace of business here is way different. If we don't turn around a bottom line PA in at least 24 hours, right. you know how many phone mm-hmm. calls I'm getting. You know it. Like, there are expectations here. That is one thing. Yeah. The speed of business has greatly picked up. We did up.
3: one last uh, last year. We were just testing one from receiving the offer to bottom line six minutes.
0: That's pretty fast. That's amazing. <laughs> nice. I wish
2: I'd get them that Put on fast. On Dot
3: Loop, send it to the buyer seller. <laughs> Six minutes. So we apply that to the
2: REO world too. Back in the early two thousands, we used to build a list it on Monday and close it on Friday, which you can't do that with an REO today because of the way the title works. They got to clear it. They got to make sure the deeds are there. Ameriquest, especially at the end of the month, they'd be all over me to get things done. If I got that listing on Monday and I got a deal together, and if I didn't close it, that my, my next month was was not good because they'd be all over me about the fact that we didn't close it.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We learned how to do it fast. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I think speed of business is better because if it's going to die, it dies faster, and if it's going to yeah, succeed, it true. succeeds fast. Like, why drag it out if you don't have to? You know. Um, something I learned. Um, what's the guy's name from Ringer? From winning through intimidation, it, and it's kind of a, a something I stole from him. The longer it takes to close a deal, the less likely the deal is to close. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anything that could speed up the buying or selling and closing process actually increases your odds of it actually closing and the longer it takes your odds continue to drop because you just have more opportunities for more failure too so actually is that that's a good question I didn't think about that did deals fall out more back in the day because of the pace of things or has that been relatively consistent maybe I'm just making that up in my head then so
3: I guys. haven't seen stats, but I would say at any given time, real estate is just a cycle. So uh, when things are very, um, when there's multiple offers and not too much inventory, you're not going to have a lot of deals falling apart because you're going to take the best deal possible mm-hmm. and the best qualified person possible. When there's a lot of inventory, you know, people tend to try anything and in my my experience well, i think I it was more think.
2: difficult to verify lenders <laughs> the buyers of back the then. back 10 years ago where the pre-approval was oh. i mean you could literally you can still create it on a computer today but there was it was harder to verify because the lender today the lender can just quicken i mean there's quicken can get you a loan on their phone yeah but that's because the government has all that data and they have access to that data so you can't lie in your taxes if you if you lie on your taxes, they're gonna get that number. So but if you tell the truth on your taxes, you can't lie on the application, right? So th- it's easier. To me, you know, to me right now the trigger is the appraisal. If we get through the inspection and then it takes them two weeks to get the appraisal in, that's the trigger for me. That the buyer number one didn't pay for that appraisal yet and didn't get all the documentation in for the lender to pull that trigger. Yeah, we just
0: right? had that happen, oh, yeah. by the way. We just oh, yeah, had market. Smeller,
2: like yeah. what? Yeah. Keep on doing it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I didn't wait. I'm like, we're putting it back on market. You, You guys get your shit together, we'll close it with you, but otherwise get out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed I've noticed the speed of that. Well I had um you guys have been through multiple markets and multiple businesses too. So I was curious if you noticed any similarities between the shifting market right kind of going with our original theme of like thinking in terms of quarter centuries instead of uh, like a quarter during the year having been through several several did you see similarities between them at all or is there anything were they all very uniquely different because part of how we project into the future is studying the past and what happened in the past. And you guys actually lived the damn thing. So you can read about in a book or you can go talk to the, the old warrior who lived and survived the war, right. And, and get it from, get it right from him. So do you guys notice any similarities or, or what did it look like? Or how was it different?
2: Um, I'm interested to hear you, Steve, cause you, yeah, some it.
1: of the, some of the differences, uh, you know, obviously the lending piece has changed dramatically. Um, you know, going, you know, from 17% interest rate in, this, in the 18, you know, early eighties uh, to now where it's in, in the, in the checks and balances that are in place. I think, you know, I, I hope and pray we never get back to where we were during the peak of the past recession. I mean, that was horrible, horrible for people, right? Experience everybody's family it touched you guys as well. Right. So, um, now I think because of the lending piece is different. I mean, you can't just get a loan because you fog up a mirror. I mean, those days are over with. Uh, hopefully, right? Uh, you, we still have some docs to submit with a loan. Uh, we don't go back to the no doc kind of thing again, when that was that was a, you know, another challenge against the business. So I think it's tougher to, you know, be, get that upside down on a house now. So, you know, when you look at the stats on real comp, you know, it's still it's only three or four percent of the market. Our, are, are shorts in foreclosures.
2: Yeah.
1: And that stays pretty consistent, you know, with in the last three to four years. So to, to grow to that number where we were at at peak at 50%, you know, that's not going to happen anymore. I know it's that, crazy to I mean, think about. we doom and gloom and that's world war three. I mean, that kind of stuff, you know, that'd be the only thing to trigger something that serious, but I think there's enough checks and balances in place now where that's a lot harder to get back to that point. And thank God for that. You know, there, <clears throat> created a different market, right? We've all had to reinvent ourselves, literally reinvent ourselves several times in this business. So that's maybe the key that your takeaway from this is you got to be able to adapt. You can't get stuck in a rut, you know, listen, watch, observe, and don't be afraid to take chances. I mean, that's what life is, and to succeed, I mean, life is like, I mean, you know, I chills thinking about what he had to I do. I know. We have no idea.
0: No, I can't even imagine. Leaving your
1: mother country, leaving a lot of your family behind and not having any money in your pocket. You know, that's crazy for people. They they can't fathom that in today's world, right? It
0: still blows my mind. Yeah. Every person I meet who does that, I look at him like, I know how hard it was for me. Right. And I'm just like, how the fuck did you do that? That's what exactly. I'm thinking. I was like, damn, that's amazing. That's also why... I, i 'm not this is not a political statement it 's why I like immigrants because anybody who's willing to do that i got to say is my kind of person you know i 'm always looking to top grade my life, and if somebody has suffered or done worse and succeeded, then what the hell's my excuse and I want to be close to that person you know so that 's why i'm like I think being come uncomfortable
3: being uncomfortable push you to do things that you never imagined doing, and that 's why uh, we say be comfortable with being uncomfortable you know that 's part of business. Uh, I think to answer your question about, um, uh, you know, down market, uh, or, uh, similar, similarity between the old market and new market and so forth, so on and so forth. I came in 91, so I really didn't catch. I caught, caught the end of the 91. There was a little bit of a, uh, dip, if you will. Or in the early nineties, I should say, I caught the end of it. And that's when I bought uh, my house and got into a little bit of investing uh, in the city. Um, and then we had the big one in 2007, eight and nine. Uh, I believe if, if it's too good to be true, uh, that you, you smell trouble. Uh, when you start seeing people who can't afford buying a house, getting a $500,000 house, uh, obviously there's a bubble coming. So, um, and I, I agree with Steve, uh, having the regulation, uh, the deregulation was the start of, of everything, um, that happened in, in, uh, in 2007, eight and nine, uh, because banks were just giving everyone. I mean, I got a, a line of credit, uh, personal line of credit with no guarantee for a hundred grand from Chase. Just walked into the bank. I need money, sign here, boom. I mean, this is not going to. Ha- hopefully, it's not going to happen again. Um, but that's too good to be true. You smell trouble. That's, that's a great
0: s- point. If it is too good to be true, it's too good to be true, right? It or it's a trap, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're about to get caught
2: in it. What I remember is going to conferences, the REO stuff in the mid two thousands. Right, the, those <laughs> California, the sand states, in Florida. Those guys were going to the courthouse steps and just making a killing. And the notice of defaults were were more in those areas that people thought things were good. Whereas in the Midwest, the world was tanking. So when it really did tank, when the East Coast and West Coast fell apart, that's when Detroit just, right? That's why it did, the market just fell out overnight. And if you throw in the fact that, of course, we're, we were too heavy into the car business, which I think right now, if we have a a cycle down, which I think we're going to year and a half or two, I think is kind of my prediction of that, uh, that it's not going to be the same because we're not – our core business is an automotive, right? We, if we don't sell a car, we're still going to eat, right? I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's way different now. Because you had all those suppliers around all those auto plants. So they all the, – this that trickle from the auto companies, and my dad was – my dad was lucky. My dad retired in 2006 as a GM engineer. He got up before GM. That's perfect
0: everybody. timing. Boy, Boy yeah, you was, couldn't cut it any closer. Another than year and that, right? a half and he yeah. would, uh,
2: his pension would be gone. I mean, he makes more now than he did when he was working because of the, because of course that's what GM's problem was, was the legacy costs, right? Yeah. So I think that personally, I think that that buying frenzy that we all didn't see in 2009 and 10, we all wished we could bo- go back and buy all those houses now because, we, obviously, the future, you know, the crystal ball in the future. You know, a lot of these guys that bought that are selling houses in Royal Oak today look like geniuses because they bought them in 11 and 12. When I remember looking at vacant land in Royal Oak going, I'm not going to pay that much for it. You know, and this junk stuff in, in Royal Oak that now is... You knock the house down and build it up, it's like 500K.
3: I mean, Hazel Park, they're yes. building and, you know, and these these slots were for a thousand, fifteen, and some of them were like hundreds, you know. Right. And now they're building, you know, two, $300,000 homes in them. Or whatever, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar home. Well, of course, right. I
2: think that that part of Oakland County has a has a mystique to it. Mm. Hazel Park's kind of at the bottom of that mystique, right?
3: But it's but it's doing more oh, well yeah, Absolutely, it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
2: right. If you're if you know what it looks should look like, it doesn't make
3: sense. Well, I mean, a lot of people are saying we're about a year and a half to two from what happens in California. That I don't know if you guys heard that before. It seems like the West Coast coast gets it first and then we get the bug about a year and a half to from from then uh that's what happened the last recession it started then it came here uh i feel it would be shorter time now because of technology i think the year and a half to two might shrink to you know less than a year because um we're so connected now you know the the internet is way faster and people are relying on it way more than 10 years ago so um you know, sometimes I tell people, watch what's happening in the West Coast coast to know what could happen here. Uh and I know the dynamics have changed now. We're not just automotive, we have a lot of uh other industries that came to Michigan that could help us, which is a great thing. Um, but I still the rule I feel, I I feel the rules still apply. We need to see what's happening in other states and not just bury our head in the sand and not look at what's going on, you know, in the other part of the country. Cause these are the ones that usually start the, um, creative, you know, financing and the creative investing and all that. And they're usually the ones in trouble first. So well, what's
2: interesting is that when, you know, the market started heating back up, I'm going to say 16, 17. I think we can attest that that summer market of 17 was the start of what we're at now where we're back up to where we were is that, uh, the everybody, there's a lot of pent up money because everybody that got hurt or at least they said oh, I'm not doing that and they just saved all their money now they're un- they're unloading it mm-hmm. right so i think that for me just going through a a down cycle in real estate i'm ready for it to down and buy everything i can buy that's really what i'm trying to accomplish uh in my wholesale business i think 2020 i'm going to buy everything i can get and wholesale it i think this is the i think this is like the end of it right i think we're right there recognizing it Business because like, because Trump, everything's lined up as much okay. as we may us have different opinions of Trump, the guy's a business dude,
1: yep,
2: right he's he's a he's a little bit of a waste of skin in some ways. but you know what? he knows how to do stuff, right? And it's working, right? So I don't have to believe I don't have to believe in his v- values. you know, his business acumen is spot on. and he's survived. I mean, he's he, I mean he's almost more Teflon than uh, Clinton was when he went through all of that well yeah if you can opinion. survive
0: New York City politics oh, yeah. that is kind of like a gladiator school for like getting stuff done with cities right like would you pick what I don't know what other city you would pick to do something but that's not a fun place and the numbers like that was yeah. that is a little bit like gladiator school
2: well when you think about his He's gonna be the he's gonna be the first president that gets impeached and re elected in the same year. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that is just like you couldn't make that up if you wanted to. No. Probably one <laughs> had
3: something to do with the other too. You know, always
2: talking about his legacy. His legacy is he survived. Yeah. That's his legacy.
3: <laughs> survivor you sure put a show so it's hollywood everything could happen
0: that is true that is that part of it
3: but she's not a politician Mm -hmm.
0: well i joke a little bit too to your to your internet part i was like what do i really need to live but that i'm not willing to give up toilet hot shower wi-fi so (laughs) you nailed it sir like we are so connected and dependent now that i don't even want to consider living like i don't even i don't I don't know how I could do my current job without Wi-Fi or connection oh, to the yeah, internet. Absolutely. Like, I don't, what would you do?
3: Yeah, you want to <laughs> discipline a kid? Take <laughs> take away the Wi-Fi. Take away the technology. <laughs> I'm telling you, you want to discipline talent, anyone, yeah. not just a kid. Hit I them mean, below the belt. Really, anyone nowadays. You got, like, uh, grandparents who's on their phone 24-7. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's
0: why when I get home at night, usually, like, 6.30, 37. I just ignore it. Yeah. It's like whatever happens between now and 6 a.m. tomorrow, it could, it can absolutely wait. wait. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cause I have noticed that they, these things do train us to a certain extent. You know, so I I never want to give it up because I don't I didn't even have to do the crap you guys had to do. I'm hearing that. Yeah, try being a broker. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you.
1: <laughs> they find you. Tra- yeah, they track you if they, down. If, yeah.
3: if you don't answer them at 11 o'clock at night, they'll be at your door in the morning. Oh, yeah. How oh. dare you not answer me? Oh, my
1: Vacation? God. How dare you? Yeah. That's
3: terrible.
0: I don't know how you guys do that. I know what I put you through, and I'm relatively decent <laughs> most of the time. I can only imagine what the rest of it looks like.
2: So. Why well, are some people calling? Call me and say, "Hey, you got a you, you got a few minutes?" I said, "I answered the phone, didn't I?" Yeah. If I don't answer the phone, I don't have a few minutes. Yep.
0: <laughs> that is that is one of the questions, stupid questions. Let's go. Hey, this is Jeremy speaking. This is that I answer my phone? And they and they say, "Hey, how you doing?" And I'll say, "Great. What can I do for you?" I just cut that shit short, man. Oh, yeah, you know how many I phone did, calls I got to make it. today? Come on, let's get to the point. So, um, why well, we got some business? questions too, but I got one more. I want, I want to, to ask you if you can go back at any point in time in your life. And Steve kind of already did a little bit of this, but I want to get this out there and you could reason with your younger self, what would you attempt to impart on yourself? So that's a fancy way of what should everybody else do if they're just getting started, but I'll ask it that way and make it about you guys. What would you go back and tell yourself or teach yourself so you would do things differently than when you
2: started? I would have got into real estate sooner. I mean, I, I was 35 when I started doing real estate. And I, I nursed myself for at least seven, eight years in the auto business before I just was forced out. And it was really a reality of paying my bills. I mean, I, was, I bought a brand-new house in 94, had it built. And I was working hard to pay that bill. My wife had a job at the same time. Then I had my first child, which didn't change my life so much financially because we daycared her. But I just remember thinking that five years into my real estate career, I said, dang, I should have done this five years before, before this, right? Because I I realized that I have I have an inherent drive just to feed my family, which ultimately is making money, right? And I have a, I have a talent to make a lot of it, which I've attested to going broke twice and rebuilding it again to have a, a way of feeding seven or eight families, right? I was in those REO days, I had nine people to feed. Man, that mattered to me, which is why I was so distraught and hung out so long and took the heat for myself that I'm still dealing with today. Actually, many of those people fought bankruptcy and. Just got other things out of real estate, but I just, I just persevered. And, uh, it took me, I read, I read this book, a guy named Oz Hillman. He's a, a, a Christian believer. And he wrote this book about seven years of adversity. So when you start getting into that adversity part of things, it lasts about seven years and it's a very biblical thing, right? You know something? If that's 2010 is kind of when the, when the bottom hit for me. And all I had to do was look up. All the place I could go was up. It was about 2017, 18 when things really started like being easier, right? I was comfortable
3: again. Number seven is a magic number in the Bible. Oh, so yeah, absolutely, see it a lot.
0: Right? Yeah. Well, I'm a non-believer, but you just nailed it because I shit canned my business in 2012, and it's 2019 yeah, and now. I
2: mean, and uh, there's something about that cycle.
0: I don't. There, uh, it, or it just maybe that's just how long it takes to dig out a hole. Gary Keller, you know?
2: talks about a saturation level of your talent, right? It's like a 10 year thing. Did you get in? If you're, if you're an entrepreneur, like we are, you get restless. Like, Oh no, I can't. Cause then it becomes too easy. It was same way when I was a mechanic about 10 years into my, my career, I got helpers and all I was doing was managing. I got tired of that. I started plowing snow at night to make some extra money because I had time. Right. And then the real estate thing, the same thing. I got into it. About, about the 10 year mark in the REO business, I was fat and happy. And then it just, it just, I couldn't control the downside of that. And now it's kind of happening again, right? I've been, I've been a 20, I'm a 20 year veteran of real estate, but I feel like I just started, you know, the art, the, this wholesale side of stuff. I love doing this. I love negotiating with people and doing what we do.
3: Yeah. I think with the changes that's happening right now, we all feel like we just started. I mean, there's a lot of, stuff that we yeah. do different than what we did when we first started. Um and going to like going back to my younger self telling myself to do something. Uh, <laughs> I might do something dumb, but what <laughs> um I No, I, I think I I could have kept more uh in uh in in two thousand eight, nine and ten than uh than flipped. So I probably uh, I would go and tell myself to, uh, keep more properties than yeah, I did. For sure. Hold. So that's probably, I would have held more than, uh, than flipped. Uh, but I did more flips at the time because I needed the money. I didn't have the money to hold. And I wish, I wish I had the money because I was begging my investors to buy. And everybody's like, the sky is falling. I'm like, ah, $10,000 in Oak Park. I don't know. Uh, how, <laughs> yeah, how, how much far can it fall? You go? I was literally on their door begging them to buy, and uh, they were all scared. Uh, however, I had a few investors who bought a lot of houses. I mean, I had a lady from California who bought a total of 72 homes in a sp- span of two years. That's awesome. Home. Man, she's she seized, a killing. Man, right she killed it. Yeah. 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 yeah she's so, sitting happy now. Yeah. There, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. She has a management company. She's netting somewhere around thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month. Wow. So, would well, you
0: see Josh Sterling's new plane? You see him post on the post. Yeah. 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 (laughs) yeah. He bought a shit ton of stuff there. Like, he's doing pretty good. And actually, to your point, Laith, he didn't sell very much. Out of everybody I know, he sold the least.
3: Well, that's the number one rule when the market tank, do not sell. The number one rule is hold on to what you have, don't sell it. A lot of people, a lot of investors got scared and they saw the market going down. So they sold here, you know, thinking, I don't want to get there. I don't want to get to the bottom. And then that bounced back. As long as you have an investment that is pay- yielding you, you know, it's business. You have to treat it as a business. You have to have a, a capital account. You have to have an escrow account. You have to have a saving account. And you have to have some money for days like that. So if you treat it just like a business, just like running a, a party store or, or any business for that matter, or running a, a brokerage, we have to have these accounts and we have to have a six months operating expenses in order to live. Uh, if we don't have that six months operating expenses, and then we have two months of bad time, that's what happened to us back in two thousand eight. We start doing cash calls, right? Yeah. So, uh, if you treat it as a business, if you're, if you want the biggest advice, in my opinion, uh, from from now until, uh, hopefully, it's not going to happen, but it will happen another dip is uh, generate as much as you can to have enough money uh, in case you need that money set it aside put it on a CD put it somewhere I don't care where you put it just have some capital and build your your um, hold as much as you can and try to pay off as much as you can uh, so you have that passive income coming and then when times go bad I know you lose the value of the property but if it's yielding you profit it'll who bomb, cares bounce yeah. Back. It'll no, back it's, back. even if it doesn't bounce back, who cares? I invested this. I'm making 8%, 6% return on investment. And I'm making it through good time and bad. Who cares if it goes down? Yeah, it's good times
0: Good times never last, but neither do bad times, right? Yeah. That all changes.
3: Well, we're going to attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> right
2: now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: How do you guys manage risk and failure now? Versus when you were more like me, all dewy eyed, still wet behind the ears and figuring it out. Has that changed or how do you guys look and view at risk and manage risk? Right. Cause it's obvious you read the books and all that you, it's good to be aggressive and, but you got to kind of watch and limit your downside. Right. So how do you guys manage or think about risk and failure now versus when you started?
1: Well, you know, when you're, Let's say when I first started, you know, a lot of my friends just thought I was crazy. You're going where? You're doing what? Why are you going to those neighborhoods? High risk, high return. Yeah. That was the Mm -hmm. name of the game, right? So a lot of people didn't even want to drive through. You know, I'm getting out of my truck and doing work and rehabbing and, you know, flipping that house or getting ready as a rental. Uh, Literally, a lot of my friends were like, are you nuts?
0: A little bit. Maybe. You know, a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> you have to be. Right.
1: So, you know, that's that's always going to happen. So, you know, at this point in my life, I'm uh, going to be a lot less risky because I'm looking at my twilight years and, and God willing and, you know, a few years when I can retire, then I want to have all my ducks in order. And that's what, why I've now I've gotten out of the rental business. I'm not a landlord anymore. I don't want to have any roots planted. I want to be able to go when I want to go. It's Take time off when I want to take time off, and that, you know, I I've done all that, you know, and it was God was good, life's been good, and I've been very blessed in my life. Uh, Four beautiful children, eight grandbabies. They're cute too. Yeah, their grandbabies are cute. It's a good part of life, and uh, I want to enjoy it, you know. And uh, but I, you know, when I'm counseling new agents and I'm teaching new agents, I'm like to to Lays point. Make sure you have that money set aside. I go, you know, you're not. The whole world hasn't been waiting for you to be a real estate agent. <laughs>
4: <That's> <laughs> so true.
1: I, I, I hate to tell you, you know, you know, so true. Yeah. you ain't the next yeah. best, and, best and, dude. And, yeah. Know? And by the way, you know, you're not. You know, I always like this line. You're not a secret agent. <laughs> Let
4: freaking people know
1: you're an agent, right? I love that. I mean, I used to have magnets on my cars. I wore all my wardrobe was whatever brokerage I was with. You knew, you know, because a lot of stuff we do when we're knocking on doors doing cash for oh, keys, yeah. I wanted people to know I wasn't a cop, right? right? So I had, you know, big bullseyes all over me, big blue bullseyes all over my clothing. <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> easy to identify. I'm probably not a cop. So uh, I think this guy's real estate one. Too, but it's also the marketing piece, right? So it let people know what you're doing. Let, you know, I tell people, like, it's real simple. Get it out. You know, you, you go to a meeting and how many people got a name tag on? No, One I mean. out of fifty. Yeah, like, not, come on, not that's anymore. Like yeah, bucks. get a freaking name yep. tab, right? I mean, starts conversations, right? You're in a checkout line. You're you're always dropping a card. There's a waitress comes up. I'm trying to get that waitress to be an agent, right? I'm talking. Listen, I'm going to change your life. And they look at you, yeah. like I'm serious. Sit down and talk for fifteen minutes. I'm going to change your life. And that's what it can do to somebody, you know, with the right attitude, but. The last point, you got to have some money. you got to survive. I say six months minimum. If you're starting out, you're not going to make any money. I don't care how good you think you are. That's reality, right? So, you know, and then till you, till you get up and running, you're going to work. You spend money on people you know, not on strangers. You know, that's what people kind of get, get all wacko with this some of this stuff with. Concentrate on the people you know. You don't already have to. You're already sold. They know who you are. You don't have to resell yourself. Mm-hmm. And then... Once you start making money, yeah, go after the stranger. Start that other kind of marketing. But, you know, we all have some – if you don't have a sphere to get started, well, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, you are. You know, so, you know, with me, I still work my my church spheres. You know, the Greek Orthodox churches in the area, they all know me. I was involved in athletics all my life, so those people know me. And those have, you know, basically pay my bills now. I've got referral business coming in. I've never spent a penny advertising in the last five years. Cause I'm at a point in life where I don't have to, you know, and that's a blessing. So, um, the hardest, hardest thing, and I, you know, is always getting started. I tell agents getting started, getting past that first hump, making, you know, you know, we know the, the, the fallout rate is ridiculous. Right. Right? Yeah. Super high. So, but if you set some of that expectations and people have these conversations, a little tough conversations to have, don't blow it all lily white or you're going to make a shitload of money and, you know, no, here's what's going to happen, you know. Set aside some money to cover those hard times because we've all seen the cycles. and yeah. it's, it's coming, okay? Whether it's this year or next year, there, you know, I've been through four cycles.
4: That's crazy, Steve. Safe. You've been through a few of them. Four,
1: months. right? And we, When we bought that hut house in 76 for 54 bucks, the next year we bought a brand new house for $54,000 hmm. in Sterling Heights. That house went up $1,000 a month for, for, for the thir- first 30 months. That's crazy. You could never have saved that money, right? So then, then the 80s hit, right? So the 80s hit was like, you know, my best friend was my was my GC on the, on the he was building homes in Sterling. He was managing over 100 houses at the same time. This guy's just a phenomenal builder and he's still building houses today. But you know, in the 80s he's building decks. He's doing basements cuz he's not building any houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had the pivot. to pivot. We just went through, right? And now he's reinvented himself as well. He's a custom home builder, knocks down houses in Birmingham, puts back McMansions. That's what he does on a limited basis now. But um, that's where you console, you guys. You don't get stuck in a rut. Be you know, looking at opportunities that are out there and reinvest in that business. I mean, this is the business. You should know your business, like Ron said. Doing the VPOs was probably one of the best things I ever did. You know, we can talk, and you can give me an address, and I'm going to tell you what the frick that house is worth without even going to it well, I'm going to be pretty daggone close, right?
4: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, especially in the D, the D we knew the D well, because a lot of people didn't want to do the D. Yeah, So we were doing the D when nobody wanted to do it. And so you knew neighborhoods, you you had an idea what value was. And that just gives you the confidence. I tell agents when you're, you're up against a, you know, a seller that just stuck on a stupid number, you got to get them off the number. And this is how you do it with conviction and understanding figures and listen, this is why I've got this number. You know, don't tell me the neighbor said your household for this because it's bullshit. Right. You know, it's <laughs> I a, love it's, that. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lie. No, it didn't. So here's reality, right? <laughs> so anyway, there's no greater business that you're going to be in than in this business. I, mm-hmm. I can't, uh, there's just so much opportunity and surround yourself with strong people that know what they're doing. Uh, that's that's the so key of, right the there. beauty of our culture, you know, a lot of us share freely, right? And, uh, you know, I'm a cheap date. You take me out for coffee, take me out for Coney's. I'm all in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so.
0: you are also really easy to work with. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that because I can be difficult to work with. So anybody that's easy to work with is like, all right, I need to, I need to keep this guy in my life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would say people, you know, they, they mean well. Sometimes it just doesn't come out that way. Yeah. So you can't get too rattled by stuff. And, uh, you gotta, in our business as brokers, you gotta have thick skin because you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna I think see. sometimes
2: that especially retail agents they only can see what's in front of them on deals and not about the big picture because they worry about their money mm-hmm. that just drives me crazy when when a retail uh, an agent on the other side of a deal buying from me mm-hmm. is worried about their cash I just I just call them out right away he says it's not about your money you ain't protecting your client by worrying about your money
0: no you're not right? yeah so
2: when you do that and I think they're so wrapped up because they don't make enough. Right. If they make, if they make five or six grand in a month, they're giving 30% of that to a broker and then they got to pay another 30 on the taxes. They're not making a bunch at five grand a month. No. Right. So make you going to make 10 or 15 to make that happen. For a good, decent living at real estate.
3: Well, I think that's that's a, what you mentioned is a big problem that people don't re- recognize, and you nailed it. If you are getting, if you're new and you want to get into real estate or investing or whatever it is, um, go learn about business. Yeah, I think if you don't know business, you can't really survive in our in in anything really in in real estate or in investing so if you don't know how to run a business how to prepare for a business and how to manage risk you're not going to make it um so managing risk is a huge part of business because if you don't manage risk if you don't have that back to you know the backup stuff to fall on uh you're in trouble uh, I hate to break it to you, but if you don't start working hard,
0: I lived it, man. Yeah. you're you're speaking the truth. I shook in two businesses before I was like, okay, I, I got good deals, but I obviously don't know how to run a fucking business, so I end up going work for Steve Lombard for two years. Or find someone who
3: knows how. That's what I, I did. I mean, if I you don't, if it's not and your, and your forte. Yep. Find someone who knows how and uh, have them take care of some of it, or. All of it or t- have them teach you how or pay them to do it. I understand, um, you know, there's a lot of things new people can't do because of money. Money is a big part of becoming successful. Obviously, if you don't have money, you can't do a lot of things. And that's the key. If you take, you know, a portion of your life and you say this is, so for example, for me to pay off my debt and um get into a business, I had a plan. I, I said in the next two to three years, I'm going to do this. And this is the money I want to end with in these two or three years. So you need to take some time out of your life. Nothing going to happen instant. Nothing going to happen next day. So you need to take that three to five year to save up money, or to be wise about your money and start your business. Uh, nobody gonna come with no money and start making ton of money the next day. It no. takes time, yeah. so it's it's task over time. Uh, and I really want to drill it to the young people because pe- everybody think that they can just get a license or go work for an IT company or open up, up a, a whatever store or business, and boom, they're millionaires. It doesn't work that way. No. Right? I mean, it, t- it takes years over years to be where you at. But it starts with that first three to five years, in my opinion, to be wise about your money and know know what to do To You might have to work hard. You might do 120 hours a week like I did. Um, but then you start uh, that small capital that's going to take you to the next step. Yeah. I, I like
0: on-the-job Ron- training too. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, Ron, but if you're like me and you're – can be a slow learner sometimes and it can be hard to read a business book don't be afraid to humble yourself and go work for someone else because you're getting you're essentially getting paid to learn and don't worry too much about how much you're getting paid too because uh good thing about me getting my ass kicked is i understood my value was very low so i didn't pretend otherwise i got a pretty good humbling lesson i was slow to learn it but i'm i'm glad i did and I went and humbled myself and worked for Steve Lundo. And then when I went and humbled myself and worked for Joe Delia, um, by the way, both were younger than me too. Right. And I just, it was, but it was easy after I got my ass kicked and I didn't know. So you could actually do on the job training too. If you're smart about it, I wanted to learn about wholesaling. Ron, wasn't there yet. It was Steve at the time. So I was like, let me go and I'll learn how to run a wholesale business. And then when I was having a hard time scaling my own, I saw Joe and Renee Delia. I'm like, well, I never considered being an agent, but I want a business that can scale. How can I do this? Well, I went and worked for them as an agent. What was good for Steve and what was good for Joe? And what was good for Renee? What was what was good for me? So you could also do on the job training too, folks. You don't just have to go read That's a book. That's the best and-
3: training. Because you get it from the people who's doing it day in, day out.
0: Just make sure you pick good people. The downside to that is make sure your values line up, make sure everything else lines up, make sure it's legit, and then go all in on the thing, right? So, sorry to interrupt, Ron. Where were you going?
2: I just think that when you're first starting out, your, your problems are minimal, right? If you don't make some money, it's only your problem. So, when you start expanding, and I think that's where most business people aren't business people, is it's a carpenter a carpenter a contractor is a classic example of a guy who's good at swinging a hammer but he's lousy at managing people right those of us who become successful learn how to manage the stress and the people right well sometimes i just i'm marvel at the fact that the stuff that's coming at me is like okay whatever you know so for me right now as i've really kind of saturated what i do it's, it's about velocity. You know, how do I manage my risk? Because once you get to a certain level and you've got money coming from all different angles where you got to pay this bill, pay that bill, you're making money coming in. I got, but I know that that 30 K is coming at me is going out at 20 K on this because I've been, I've been holding off that guy for a week because I know the money's coming. Right. So th- for me, the velocity is the moving of that cash and knowing what my intake is. And the only way you're going to know that is to know your numbers. The only way. So you have to have some kind of bookkeeping or however you're tracking that. We just went through waymark homes was a year old. This 19 when I ran the books and we did the last year meeting, we don't have a revenue problem. We have an, we have an expense problem. We made a bunch of cash, but when you, you if you make one dollar and spend 75 cents, yeah. you, you wait and then you that 25 cents paid everybody else. You're like, Dang, that's not good for me. I don't want to be the owner. I want to be the guy that made the 25 cents. Right. So, and that's, that's so revealing when you can know your numbers. Absolutely. And to know how you're driving that. And when I look back to my REO days, I didn't know that. I didn't know that very well. And I should have. Um, but now I, and this has a lot to do with electronics too. It's easy. QuickBooks is online. You can dump it out of your bank account. You know, it's all easy and and the bookkeeper's online, he's someplace else. All he has to do is make sure he puts it in the right line, right?
4: And uh, And that's
3: business 101. I mean, you got to know your numbers, you know? And it's funny, when money is coming in, a lot of people don't even look at the numbers anymore. Hey, life is beautiful. Right. And as soon as there's a little hiccup. (laughs) Right. Wait a second. This is
0: terrible. Why wasn't I looking at this?
3: (laughs) I know sometimes (laughs) when I see that coming...
2: I have a talent of making cash. Like, I'm not gonna say I go out and drum it up. I just know what I gotta do. It's a focus issue. So then I remember, well, okay, if I needed ten grand and I knew I was gonna be short, I go find that ten K. But then why do I have to go find it? Why don't I just keep it? Do it it?
3: all the time. Just keep it. Yeah. Right?
2: Next month I'm gonna keep that ten. So then I'll have then I can I'm gonna get all I need and I'll have that ten and it just grows, right? Yep. And that and, and I think entrepreneurs are inherently uh, one of my partners says, "Ryan, you just you just smash it with a hammer, <laughs> right?" Thank I you. Said, You're right. Did so you I define somebody <laughs> that doesn't smash it with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, and I found that guy. That yeah, was my point.
3: Yeah, I think we always go through these peaks and valleys while we go with our business. When things are good, we start slacking. When it goes down, I gotta roll up my sleeves. Um Just keeping your your sleeve sleeve rolled is kind of tough. You know, it's not yeah, easy it for you. Working really hard while things are really good, you know. Right. But you got to train yourself. You got to go it. buy the car and go out there yeah. on a vacation. Yeah. Yeah,
2: think, uh, like,
1: <laughs> yeah, one of the common denominators between these three guys, the three of us, is <laughs> hard work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, sure. and that, uh, you know, if you're not prepared to do that, then you're, don't get into business. Yeah. Well, Even sure at so. this age, you guys pretty put a
0: pretty good pace on people. Like, I know you guys could outwork many young people, and that should not. Be the case, young people. Yeah. I, if you're I looking up, I'll take
3: the challenge, my friend. Yeah, like yeah. it's
0: like it's, they got, they still got it, man. They, I they think you got gotta
3: it. also want it enough. You know, if you don't want it enough, uh, you're not gonna work hard. So if you don't feel the burn, if you don't, you know, uh, like want something, have passion for it, uh, you're not gonna put the, the the hard work. So you just have to want what you want enough to go for
2: it. Yeah. my in-laws recently moved in with us and my mother-in-law consistently asked me like i'd be walking in the door at nine o'clock she said where you been all day
1: like, I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't. Mean, if i had to tell you that i wouldn't think think i could figure it out this far, yeah.
2: and then i and then and then we spend 20 30 minutes for, you know an hour <laughs> and then uh, my wife velma goes to bed and i get the laptop out and i sit and you know have the tv in the background oh yeah so i'm I consistently go to bed at one o'clock every night, and then I'm up before her at five o'clock too. Right? Yeah. i have just interesting. I, as I getting, I can feel my olderness coming out <laughs> because I can't do that three four hours of sleep. Yeah. Like I used to be able to do for weeks at a time, and then I would crash. To get my, I get one good night's sleep, and I'd be good for another month. Where I could because I used to do BPOs I do. in the middle of the night.
3: Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I do. I go like. Two weeks of four hours and then sleep boom. all day, <laughs> sleep in for like eight
2: or nine. So, my kids always go, I can, my kids will say, Where's dad? He's in bed, in bed. Yeah, it's his day, he's got to get his rest. He I'm, sometimes
0: does that. Yes,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> got to go to bed,
0: eat a bunch, go lay down. Yeah. Um, what do you guys do for your like continuing education? Right? So, obviously, you've been around a long time when you're trying to look. Towards the future, like what what are you consuming as far as paying attention to what's happening in the future, looking back into the past, like trying to especially as the pace of technology increases, a lot of this business is as old as time, right, but parts of it continue to change, so I'm just curious how you guys manage your continuing education and kind of what you consume and how you consume it and what you pay attention to because maybe some of these Younger folks like me could start paying attention to it, too. Yeah,
1: go, to, go to every legal update you can do that's taught by the board. Whatever board you're with, they're always fantastic. Those attorneys do a great job bringing you up to speed on the latest and greatest and all the problems that we're having in the industry. Um, the continuing ed part uh, for me, I've again, I've reinvented myself again, Okay, where now I'm doing commercial real estate, which I never did before.
0: Dude, that's awesome. You're starting something completely new. Man, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. But the smartest thing I did was I partnered with a commercial real estate attorney. Mm. I would Mm. never venture into this without
0: that's what has me scared that
1: relationship because it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. I mean, we're residential brokers for the most part. We don't have one freaking form that works. (laughs) Everything's customized, everything's to that particular transaction, and it's really worked out well. So far, and I'm kind of excited where this might go. Probably
2: holds your talent a little bit, you know, in regards to contracts when you have to when the when it's Mm -hmm. not your generic board contract sitting in your yeah yeah,
1: that's part of the part of the deal with us. You know, you get the on the the commission that's being paid. You also get an attorney as part of the package. So yeah. He gets to draft the documents, review the documents. He gets the me.
3: liability, and you get the money.
1: <laughs> Nothing <laughs> better than yeah, that. them yeah, <laughs> into that, but yeah, it's I'm so high
3: fun. on liability, so give it <laughs> yeah. to somebody else. Yeah, you could have yeah, it.
1: Uh, it works out great, and he's he was tired of making agents rich, uh, getting them out of trouble, and he's like, I might as well get a little bit of money out of this while I'm doing yeah. it too. So, uh, we're we're in the infant stages, but it's uh it's kind of exciting. Uh,
0: I like that you're starting something new, even so late. Yeah, but I also. <laughs> There's humbleness here too. You, you didn't pretend to know what you didn't. That, that's actually one of the questions I'll ask it later. You're like managing a weakness, right? And you humbled yourself to break. You're like, man, I can't do this without some, I need somebody to, I'm going to get eaten alive if I try and do this paperwork and I'm going to screw up clients and all that. So that's. Pay attention to that, folks, just in case you ever, you know, I think we're all, I was a young man, I was very sure I knew everything, but some people carry it a little longer than they mm-hmm. should, so uh, take a page out of Steve's book and try to remember that.
3: I think Con kind of for me is, um, I, I'm i blessed by being with Carl Williams, to be honest with you, I'm not plugging or anything, but uh, just being around people who know more, or know think to do things differently than i do uh i can tell you since i started the team uh so we we've been in business for about a year and a half um i have learned a lot from joe delia from jessica woodback from james silver from the people around me and that's a company that you go to someone and say how you do this and they'll sit down and teach you how to do it i think that's my biggest um you know Con Ed part uh, In my business uh, Beside I listen a lot to I'm not a great reader I'm a slow reader I'm, English is my second language However I do read um, But again it takes me um, Maybe two or three times longer than you do um, But I listen to a lot of uh, uh, Books Or what's going on in the market Or things like that to keep me You know uh, sharp With what's going on in the market And you never know everything. You know, you always, you got to be hungry.
1: Every day you learn something.
3: Hungry for information. Do it
1: again or you're never going to do it again. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Always a student. I believe I belong to masterminds. I belong to two. One is real estate, more real estate specific and it's investors, not retail guys. And I also belong to a personal type mastermind where you kind of dump your brain on a personal level. And it's very much the personal one is very much what's, what's in Vegas stays in Vegas. When you walk in that room and you tell them something personal, it doesn't get out of there. Whereas the, the real estate one, which is called collective genius, which some people know of that, but that's a, that's a room full of about 150 guys in the country that do high volume investing, everything from wholesaling to turnkey to retail to uh, rehabs. Um, there's a couple guys in there doing 300 rehabs a year. The management of that is just like beyond me. So, but anyway, that's how I I walk in the room when I'm here. Obviously, we're very talented, right? I walk into a, a re- meeting here. I'm the smart guy, or at least one of the smart guys. When I walk in those rooms, I am stupid, mm. absolutely stupid. I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I can learn, and, and when you walk into the, the collective genius, if you don't come in there with a humble spirit, you don't last because those guys will just tear you
3: up. There's always someone doing it better than you. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's
2: very, it, what's interesting about that is because I've been in there September of 16s when I joined, literally has tripled my business based of being around those people and also listening to their processes, right? And sometimes when I go in there, because you have to do presentations, right? Sometimes I think my presentation is kind of silly, but it, it does help other people, uh-huh. like things that we do. Because I'm, I'm not stupid, and I learn from my mistakes, right? So that's the single best thing I've done, and it's like going to college every year. <clears throat> if you go to Michigan State and spend 30k a year, that's what it costs to be in those rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Matthew, my son, he went to one of those meetings with me. That's the single reason why he's with me today. Because he was down going down a corporate track of uh, of being an accountant, and he walked into you saved a- him.
0: You saved him, yes. Ron.
2: <laughs> He would have figured it out, but you still saved him. <laughs> he met with a couple of guys that looked at him and said, you're Ron's son? Yeah. He says, you're in a room full of millionaires, dude. He says, you need to learn. And then he went back to his job and a couple 50-year-olds got walked out with their boxes. Ouch. Got let go. Oh, and that goes, hurts. Oh, yeah. I don't think my dad will ever do that to me. I'm going to go work for him, right? <laughs> so anyway, and he's uh, working with my son is like the most, I don't know. I, I tell him every day I love him and he's got a different perspective on life. And it's interesting is he, he he'll sometimes be apprehensive about exhorting me. So I have to tell him. I said, do that. If you if I'm doing something you don't like, tell me. Yeah. But then of course he's my kid, right? Yeah, it makes a tough <laughs> right. It's like he's yeah. got a respect level that's just a little different than an employee, right? So but I I love working with my kid and he's gonna eventually take over the business. That's yeah, good well, for I'm, you, man.
1: Yeah. I wanna piggyback off of that a little bit. So that's probably my uh, maybe my pride and joy of my real estate career is. My oldest son, he was going to Michigan State, and he came to me and he said, "Dad, come on!" He goes, "Let's flip a house." I'm like, "Ugh, really?" <laughs> you know, and he goes, "Yeah." So it's all right, you know. You know, you know what that means, right? The dad, I need you to come here and do all this stuff at night, right? And that's why I had the restaurants and stuff. So, uh, so anyway, we did it, and uh, he was smart enough to, again to partner up with somebody that could help him and benefit them, and they had a nice little partnership. And he did it during the course of the summer. He says, why am I going to work for anybody? He says, let's me let just flip this house and whatever we make, we make, right? Well, he made enough to pay for his college that year. That's pretty
0: good. That's
1: great, man. man. So, of course, the next summer, he did the same thing and and did real well.
0: And what a great idea.
1: And then he got a little greedy.
0: Uh Uh-oh, yeah. All right. We all do that,
1: right? He got taken advantage of before I was in the business full time with people manipulating bids, people manipulating appraisals manipulating square footage, all that kind of stuff, and lost his ass on a house where he had to declare bankruptcy.
4: So now he's starting all over
2: again, right? Mm. That was probably a good lesson anyway.
4: It
1: was. And and he survived. (laughs) He was young enough to survive, right? So then he moves out to Charlotte, North Carolina, and he starts rehabbing houses on his own with his beautiful wife. So they rehab. Now they're rehabbing in their addition. They're adding on an addition. And now I'm very proud to say, he is a knockdown, build-back builder, and that's all he's doing is building custom homes seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So when you're ready, late, I got the guy. I'll there go you up. go. Yeah,
3: you got to give me his uh, address. <laughs> to go yeah, directly. so <laughs> he's he's got his
1: own uh, building company, and he's doing phenomenal. Thank God, and uh, he gave up a very lucrative job uh, with Intuitive Surgical to take a chance to do this business, and uh, he's taking it to a whole level, and that if it wasn't for my father-in-law who piggybacked off of me who now went to my son and i was in the business it's a beautiful thing that uh you know uh i'm very you know it's, it's it's a proudful moment as a father and and uh and he's building some amazing houses that like i could never even think of being a part of but uh um it's you know a testament to growing in the business and uh um you know it's just wonderful to see as a father and experience as a grandfather as well. So yeah, for sure. Good well, stuff. what I heard right.
0: there, cause I wasn't lucky enough to get dads and moms like, like you guys have, if you were like me and you got a bunch of shitty people in your life doing shitty things, you've got to clear out your life. Cause that was a, that was another big lesson I learned. I realized, wait a second, 2012 I'm surrounded by pieces of shit. And to your point, Laith, I was the sucker. So when I realized I was a sucker, I, I mean, I, I want to crawl under like I want to go bury myself in a hole in the backyard with like shame when I realized what, what I had actually done and what the relationship actually was. And a big part of that was I didn't have good people in my life challenging me and believing in me and encouraging me. I was just getting bad advice and I was taking bad advice and believing bad things. So if you're that person, you got to. Don't go to some shitty little shop or you know like find great people doing great things and start there if you're starting from zero cuz you're not doing it on your own.
3: You got to surround yourself with what yeah. you want to be. No nobody nobody makes it alone. No. You're nobody not doing you got to have that one or two people that's going to take you from where you're at to where you want to be. So you got to have you got to ask for help if you if you really wanted. And that's the thing with ego sometimes is your biggest failure. You know, you have you have to let that ego aside and go and, you know, be a learning base. Ask for help, you know. And that goes on everything, even in your personal life. If you are struggling with something and you think that you can fix it yourself, you're wrong. Right. Pride cometh, cometh before
2: the fall.
0: Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. But make sure you're surrounded by and good people. And we're all people. victims
3: of it. Well, yeah. We're all victims of it. I've yeah. done it. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, have done it. And, you know, you learn from it. So.
0: Well, implicit in this too was build a great network. So yeah, you need you need money to survive. You need operating costs. You need all that, but you need a network of knowledge and trusted people. It's who
3: you surround yourself with?
0: Steve's. I mean, how much more old school we're we gonna get over here? And he went to his commercial lawyer to to. You, you had to have the network in order to accomplish that, right? Mm-hmm. So, which actually brings me to my, my next question. And we've kind of been talking around it too. So it might repeat ourselves here, but how do you guys manage your, your weaknesses in your business? Cause most of us are terrible at most things. And if you're good or great at a few things. That's what propels you forward, but it could also be what undoes you if you don't have a plan to manage where you're weak. So how do you guys manage your
3: weaknesses? I'll do do a short answer. Uh, If you can, hire somebody. That's my short answer. I mean, I I suck at managing my weakness. I can't tell you any other way because my weakness stays with me if I don't have someone who's going to go and um, strengthen that weakness. Um, Because, you know, it is – Weaknesses are sometimes the last thing we think about. We always focus on our strength, and weaknesses in the back burner. We don't really like if I'm if I'm good at I'm good at going and getting business. I can go and get your business as much as you can. Uh, I might be not the best person to follow up, for example. Uh, so I when I lose someone because I don't follow up, I'll just go get another person or another another deal, You're right? A visionary, dude. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but. I'm losing that business. So why don't I have someone or I know I can improve on it, but I suck on it by myself. Either get a coach or get someone to do it for you. That's I me. mean,
2: in the wholesale business, I went and got Jesse Boyd for the marketing side because I knew I'm lousy at marketing. I'm a very good deal maker. I'm very good vision. I'm not a true visionary as, as uh, a book would tell you that what's the difference but I'm more visionary than I'm a process guy. So when I realized that when I was trying to wholesale that I was terrible at bringing leads in, I just went looking for that guy and ended up with Jesse and, uh, that obviously worked. (laughs) Oh yeah. Of course. Then we got into collective genius, which put me in a room full of a bunch of marketing type guys that least gave us processes to put in place, which we have today, you know, CRM, just direct mail and websites and telephone systems and we're texting now. I mean, just all that kind of stuff is you know, just kind of what you have to do. And I was not not very good at it. So I just surrounded myself with those people at the latest the late point.
1: You know, the, the way that the communication piece has changed between email and texting, kind of the lost art is the phone call yeah. and the conversation and especially the face-to-face. So as a broker, I felt, you know, I feel that I can problem solve better when I'm talking to somebody in person. So, you know, everybody blows up their email and blows up their text and you know, and you can't read it right. It doesn't sound right. You know, it comes across, well, we got a problem and can I say, can you guys just come on in and we can talk about this? And I tell you, most of the time you can get through it right. and nobody loses their cool. And, but it's kind of a lost art where that face to face and that confrontation but in a good way in a respectful way you know and uh, I think that's a big piece of you know being the broker and having a thicker skin so to speak to maneuver through some of that stuff with not taking it personal and, and getting to the solution getting to the problem <clears throat> and you agreeing yeah you know we do have a problem I mean when I get a call from a brother another broker you know one of our agents screwed up I'll say you know what you're right they did so how are we going right. fi- to fix it? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make excuses. I go, that was stupid. Just stupid. You know, but again, your agent was just as dumb. So, yeah, you know, that's why we're here. That's right. So, you know, <laughs> let's figure it out. Yeah, let's not drag it out, right? Let's just um, – so that's, you know, some of the beauty of uh, our roles is, you know, trying to maneuver through some of that stuff. So uh, it can be stressful, no doubt, right? And uh, some uncomfortable moments as well. But um, I think uh, when you've got the patience and uh, again most people are, have good intentions it just doesn't come out that way sometimes so um, that's my takeaway
2: what's well, a negotiating skill either way whether you're Trying to get a real estate deal done or just in, in life in general, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause when you're looking at them, you can see their fluctuate. like you're exactly right about a text. Like you look at it and you go, what did he really say?
3: <laughs> is he mad at me? There's <laughs> no emotion <laughs> there. You're, right, no. Yeah. you're only getting like about 7% of the communication because you're not seeing them. You're not hearing them. So, which is why yeah.
2: we use an app, you know, like a walkie talkie app that I like to use with my assistant because it, it sometimes but, can be uh, more. It takes more time, but there's inflection in your voice. You can maybe explain something as opposed to the texting thing, right? Or mm-hmm. that guy does all the all caps, and you think he's yelling at you. And yeah. It's really not. He just doesn't know how to cap- capitalize a word. That's all.
4: He <laughs> just all caps them. You know.
2: Yeah.
3: I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, being a broker uh, also teach you a lot of things. I mean. Uh, um would you would you think of me as um uh, like a patient or impatient person?
0: Oh you're exceedingly patient.
3: I'm not impatient I'm not patient. I would I'm never know impatient.
0: I would never know. Very
3: impatient. So you mask who you are because you have to do that and then you listen more. And I think that's probably yeah, the, best the best quality. Yeah. We we just sit there and, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I sometimes I put people on speaker just for the heck of it, and um, they'll be going nuts on the phone. I'm just quiet, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then they stop and say, hello, are you there? I'm like, yeah, I'm there, uh, just waiting for you to finish. So are you done? And then they'll go again and... <laughs>
4: And then, no, I'm not done. Yeah, I'm just it. getting
3: started. And then when they're done, I'll be like, "Okay, I listen to your problem." Now you listen to me, uh, just like I didn't interrupt you. You don't interrupt me. Let let me just, you know. And then you go from there. Uh, and that that quality w- you would never see in me if I wasn't in that position. So you you learn these things as you go because I we know if you start clashing with them, it's not going to end well. No. So the best thing is to just. Listen, maybe roll your eyes a little bit, and that's about it, right?
1: Yeah, you've you've got to be flexible. Yeah, you know. And but the key is, listening is a key.
3: Yeah,
1: is a real key. Yeah. Listen, get to the root of the problem. Why is this problem? How did it happen? And now, what would you like me to do? I say quite often, what would you like me to do here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's bring a great a
0: question. You don't just, just bring a problem. Just straight, just straight up ask. Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. And I don't think this is too artsy fartsy. And by the way, Laith, anytime you have to go, just bail. I don't want to, I don't want to hold on. She's not here yet. So I'm good. Perfect. Just let me know. And I couldn't think of a better way to ask the question. So I kind of object to it a little bit, but I have to ask it because it's important to me and I think it's important to you guys. But how important is the culture in your business? And what do you guys do to maintain your culture? And I, I just object to the word culture, but I couldn't think of a better way to say it because I feel like it invites a lot of that uh, guru y stuff in. But what we're talking about is kind of like the leader sets the pace, and you're looking for a certain attitude or something. But I couldn't just figure out one word, but I know I th- I believe it's important. Um But do you guys and how do you guys maintain and craft and shape your company culture? Right, because people are looking to expand. And grow that becomes a problem because now it's just more than you, right? so how do you impart your commander's intent upon your people right and lead them? I think maybe that's a better way than culture right how do you How do you lead your people and inspire leadership in your people and hold them accountable?
2: We hired the core values we have we have company core values. And if you, th- you would think I would know that, wouldn't you? Like what they are integrity. Well, it's, I mean, obviously there are some, there are some that most companies have, right? Mm-hmm. I think integrity is always an, I'm not going to say it's an easy one. It's just an obvious one, right? We, uh, uh one of ours is life giving. Um, it's a worldview issue, right? In regards to, I'm not going to say it's a religious thing. It's just, it's, there's just more of being honest. Integrity comes with the honesty, right? So when we hire somebody, it's strictly based on our core values. Do you fit into our core value? I think that's a better word than culture, actually. Yeah. Because your core value is your culture. Yeah. Right? Absolutely.
3: We, we do, we do similar. Uh, we do work hard, uh, service your client, have fun and give more. So that's basically what we do. So um, I think culture is the most important thing in an organization, any organization that you could find. Uh, if you don't have the right culture, you're not going to attract the right people to it. So having you, and it starts with leadership, you know, it rise and falls on le- leadership, right? So the leadership has to set that culture and it could be, there is no right and wrong culture. I mean, it could be any different kind of culture. Some people are, uh, in a family kind of feel culture, some have like the fun feel culture, some are the business, you know, strictly business culture, and everybody have a place to go to whatever they want. Uh, for example, for my team, we're more uh, like a family kind of oriented culture, and that's how I like it. So that uh, we do a lot of fun stuff together, we know each other's personal life, we um always like uh help each other um uh, and everybody is willing to do things for the other person because uh they do things for them so um but culture is the the uh, to me the backbone of an organization is to have that you know identified culture and recruit to it you know have mm-hmm. hire to it so and the
2: accountability right
3: yeah that's the, the, the uh,
2: accountability is up there with the cult with that core value issue yep. because if, if they're if they can't be held accountable like if you can't exhort them then as a boss or as the owner or whatever if you can't exhort them and them accept that properly you're just beating your head against the wall and they're probably not a good fit anyway if they can't be held accountable right uh, and even i have trouble with that i'm not gonna say i have trouble with it because i tend to I just, obviously we're leaders, right? So when somebody comes to you and says, you know, you're kind of, you kind of like your, your visceral response is to fight against that, right? But when you show humility to your staff, it's like, a, it's, it's the best thing you can do is to show the fact that, yes, I was wrong, right? What, what can I do to
1: fix that? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I always say I've got an open door. So when, when I'm in the office, my my office door is open. And you can come in and we can talk about anything you want. I can, I can verify you. that too, by the way. I can help I've you done done over <laughs> through any problem you might have. And you might not like the answer I give you, you know, but I'm going to tell you what I know based on the knowledge that I have and the experiences I've had. And and uh, like Ron, I, I share all kind of horror stories. You know, and we've got a lot from the R- REO days of some crazy stuff that have happened at houses with people doing things they shouldn't have been doing and uh, giving out lockbox codes. When they when they shouldn't have been giving out lockbox codes and, um, but I get uh, to me the the biggest difference when I when I when I came to KW was that everybody shares very mm-hmm. openly, and that was different for me. I mean, if you want to learn, you know, what it takes to be a ten million dollar producer, they're in your office. Twenty, you take it all the way up the gamut. You know, look what Joe D's done, right? Look what where Perna wasn't, where Perna's at. I mean. I mean, I look at that, you know. Like, God, I wish I knew that stuff when I was their age, and you know. And, but I admire that from where they were to where they are. I mean, that's a big deal. But that, you know, came with a lot of hard work. That can pick yourself up, get yourself back up again. Stop whining, you know. Get the job done. Do it to hire people around you that are better at what they do than you're doing it. And like you know, when we were doing REOs. You couldn't manage all of that. You needed the staff. You needed a guy, on, you know, needed boots in the ground out on the field. You couldn't be out there taking pictures and doing reports and doing BPOs and and stroking all the contractors to get them out there to do the work on time. You know, you needed people. yet you have to rely on other people. That's really the way to grow too. And, and, and like I say, always, in, they talk about your, your 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 best hire is your first hire. Sometimes, right? So, and, but it's tough to get to that point where you're comfortable. You're going to spend that money, you know, but it's going to really make you more money.
3: And let you know, go of that control, too. Delegate. Not just, not just spend the money, but letting go of the control. Yeah. You said something, stop whining. I think that's the biggest part of uh, the new generation culture. You know, stop whining not to people. Stop whining Amen. to yourself. You know, a lot of people sit and start whining to themselves. You know, why am I doing this and why this and why that? And they have that mi- victim mentality. Get out of that. That's the most poisonous thing that you could put in your head that you think things are not working for you and you're telling yourself. The self-talk is very, very important to keep it positive. You know, um, Weiner is just, you know, I I don't have, I don't have tolerance for it. Just, you know.
2: Well, there's a book called Crucial Conversations that talks about you telling yourself a story where you've got the facts, you interpret those facts and then you tell yourself the story. And then you react. Yep. Right. So if you forget about that silly story,
4: you're <laughs> just going to be okay. Yeah. Just let it go. Right? Cause,
2: I mean, you talk about when you both are married, right? Mm-hmm. So what is it the worst thing? <laughs> you're like sitting in the car. Then you get home and it's like. You told yourself a story about whatever she said. Right? She yep. wasn't mad that something happened. One of the kids did that, or Especially whatever. Especially if
3: it was a text. You don't know yes, what she right. said. <laughs> or I didn't text her back. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Why didn't <laughs> he answer the phone? I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> I was
0: busy. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you guys kind of nailed something right there, too. As much as this business has changed, so much of it has stayed the same, right? Technology has pushed certain aspects of it further. But this is still a people business. Cause you're talking about getting in front of people. That's old school. Still, you know, adding service, adding value. Like some of this is as old as time and as old as the first business and has never changed. So in some aspects, there's nothing new under the sun, right? All They're right, just sure. potentially better ways of doing things. So don't use your technology as a replacement for doing what you know you need to do, which is as steve said call people meet people in real life Lath was going over to treat people like on a team rounds like core values delegate um if you were anything like me when i was stupid and uh well i was still stupid but i was more stupid right i thought I, I was the only one who could do anything as well and that shit is just not true <laughs> i don't care who you are steve jobs had I don't know how many people working for him, but he definitely wasn't the best at everything. And I'm no Steve Jobs, right? And I doubt that, that you are too. So, um, I wanted to ask this question earlier, but we were going on such a great tangent. I'm going to circle back to it. Hopefully we didn't miss it, but what are the important numbers you guys track in your business? Right. Not all of them, but what you consider the most important numbers or any indication, right? Any, what indicators are you looking at? Like if you, Hey, once a week or once a day, or what are you looking at to say, am I doing good? Am I doing bad? What's the, what's the, what do I need to change? What do you guys pay attention to numbers wise in your business?
3: Are you talking about like for me, for my real estate business or for the investment part?
0: Or both. Yeah. We got both on here. We got agents and investors and a lot of agent investors too.
3: I think for my real estate business is just the accountability piece, seeing the number of calls, number of uh, appointments, and the conversion rate. These are the things that are very important to me. I need to see... Um, I need not see if we hit our goal for the amount of contacts that we had per day, and then we hit our goal on a converting the ones, like if I give you a lead, uh, what's the conversion rate on that? Uh, these are the numbers I look for because I think the basic numbers are responsible for the big picture. If you don't focus on the daily, uh, basic numbers that make the business, um, you, you're not going to get the results you want to get. Um. And In the investment piece, it just uh making sure that you have cash flow and making sure that um you know your your here here's the thing I learned, keeping tenants happy it will winner you from the down market. Um so do a little more. Just go a little more, go a little out of your way and do something. Make it a home for them, make it uh make it more um, you know, like they own the place, not just rent it. Uh they'll stay there forever. And you don't want that turnaround of you know year after year getting new people there. So these are the two things really. I mean, to me uh, that I focus on uh, the numbers on my team, making sure that we hit them, and then from the investment part, just making sure there's cash flow and um, and everybody's happy, basically. Mm.
2: Mm. The lead generation, just like you're, that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Lead gen. Yep. <clears throat> For us, the response to the marketing which turns into appointment, which turns into a contract, right? So that ROI number is important. And for us, if it's less than 300%, we just dump it. Um, and right now, we just dumped Google and Facebook because it was like, I was throwing $5,000 a month out the window per, it's like the Facebook stuff, I, I, and I say this all the time, I think Facebook people sit on the toilet, they see my ad, they hit the button,
3: <laughs> and then we call them
2: back, they don't answer the phone. Like, really? Like, you got? You just hit the button, and we just called you. We're
3: getting a good uh, conversion from Facebook, actually. Uh, maybe it's just the retail. I'm having a hard time question. with Realtor.com. The leads that come in, they all have an agent. Yeah. I, that's probably one thing I'm going to dump. But uh, yeah. So we were spending a lot on the management of that because we
2: obviously – somebody manages the Google returns of that. And the Facebook was the same guy and it was just tearing us up and was spending $5,000 a month on Facebook. We get like 85 and 85 responses, zero appointments.
0: That's bad.
2: So we say, we need not to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's back off. And a part of what CG did for us was, uh, was the texting thing kind of giving us a, a compliance issue because you have issues with the, you know, with the no, do not call thing. So. What we have found is that it's it's a, you can't sell them something, you know. If you reach out to them cold, trying to sell them something, that's the difference. So if you're reaching out for a service like we are, like we want to buy your house, yeah. yeah. If they that's
3: if they good. if they reach out to you, you could reach out to them.
2: Correct. Yeah. So in our case, we're texting that. Now those Angry Birds, as I call them, are far more with texting. <laughs> I mean, I just got one here from angry some birds. insurance guy just like two minutes ago. <laughs> I had the same visceral response. Ah, you know, it's like. But uh, and then we we went out to Phoenix this last week and cut a commercial, so if you see my acquisition guy mug on your cable television, you know, sweet, yes, sweet. I want to buy your house.
0: <laughs> Just sell cheap to Ron. Come on, That's give it
2: right. up. <laughs> you know, we're going to see. And there's some guys in in Philadelphia and and uh, York, Pennsylvania are killing it with television and they're very similar markets to Detroit. So it's not an LA or a Miami or Houston or any kind of more of those more upscale markets. It's just down and dirty white collar, blue collar neighborhoods that are, they, they watch cable. You know, the only stick we got with this guy is he just knows how to buy airtime. You know, they cost the same, right? So us going out to get the airtime would be not as lucrative as him doing it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the phone blowing up and, We've got the system already set up. We got the resources to handle that volume. I'm looking I'm just curious how it's gonna work. So
3: it's funny, each market has a different way to mm-hmm. capture that business. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's why
2: we when we when we kind of looked at the television thing, because when you think about a television commercial, what do you think? It's late night TV, Carlton Sheets, you know, guru kind of stuff. This is a thirty second spot saying, This is Jeremiah from Waymark dot Waymarkhomes.com and I wanna buy your house. I mean, it's literally like like three different ways to say that in this 30 seconds. <laughs> well, there is a
3: website that I, would, I did some business with, and what they did was they basically were marketing buy your house for cash. Uh, and you won't believe the response they were getting. I mean, they were getting a lot of response. I was getting 10, 15 leads a day, uh, and some good ones. I'm not, you know, they, they all want to sell their house. They're expecting someone to buy it for cash. And I'm more than happy to go and see it. I might buy it for cash, you know. Uh, so uh, that's very effective. Well, it drives
2: to, it drives it to the website, yeah. which captures the info, which dumps it into the podium yep. for the CRM. But that's a
3: that. very effective way to market is to tell people that I I will come and buy your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. it gives you a lot of um, you know because uh, we're not looking
2: for listings per se.
3: Yep. Uh, but sometimes they
2: turn into that because we're yeah. trying to convert them whichever yep. way, right? Yep. Yep. But uh,
4: yeah.
0: All right. Thank you, Leif. All appreciate right, I you. Do He's going go. to
3: go. leave. I appreciate you having. Thank me you for the coming program, on the podcast, I sir. Have, I have a, like a two-hour? Go see your son. So. It's okay. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thank you, so. sir. You. Right. Appreciate you, you, man. Okay. All, All right. right. What numbers do you track, Steve? Or what do you pay attention to in your business? Well, it's
1: kind of a different point in my life than these guys. I'm a, I'm in the wind down stage, so uh, I'm still just mostly friends and family on the on the on the retail piece and. Uh, learning to grow on the a, on a commercial piece is kind of how I see myself. Uh, I'm always going to putz, I call it. You know, I'm. I'm I don't think I'm ever going to retire. Retire, um, obviously not. Starting a commercial venture <laughs> yeah. at 67. You so, got some gas in the you tank, know, man. You give me some options. You know, as I as I age, and uh, um, <laughs> w- which is exciting for me. I'm, I'm excited to learn. Um, as a broker, <laughs> it's, I kind of gauge with uh, when I sit down with our. You know, attorney or, you or know, representative. And that sounds and, fun. Yeah. And uh, We've done, you know, 3000 transactions and it have only had two small claims.
4: Wow.
0: Good for you. Uh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So he's like, uh, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Um, and that's goes out to the training piece and just let, you know, getting agents to do everything the right way. Not, not the quick way, not the short way, not the, you know, I make more money way. no the right way if you do it right things will pay off in the long run and i think uh with the amount of stuff you know the classes that we offer i mean you're gonna hit the ground running and but the key is you got to show up you know heaven forbid you got to show up and there's a you know as we know there's a lot to learn in the business and all the different aspects of the business there's even more that you have to learn so um those are kind of my two barometers. So uh, kind of that's growing pretty good. and learning and then uh here as, as a broker, like managing the uh the, the, the problems that we potentially could have with that kind of volume and you know, over three hundred agents in your office and not everybody puts the effort into it that they should. Um so that's the challenge of like all right, keeping everybody on course and no, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're doing that, and that's part of my job as a broker to make try to keep everybody on course. So you know, of all the deals I've done, I've only been sued once.
2: And even that particular instance was the guy just didn't – he didn't read the list. He read the listing ticket from – in those days, Macomb had its own listing real and my real source. Mm-hmm. The listing ticket on that end had the wrong information. But the real comp one, which is where we put the data in, was right. And he took that all the way to the judge. He sued us, and the judge said, hey, it was incorrect. I said, but he, he waived his inspection, judge. Like, anyway, just I one time, so I knock on wood, you know, right at, I mean, at the end of, right now I'm going through an ethics thing with a realtor on a house that I owned and a negotiating thing. He didn't think I did well. He think I took his buyer. Uh, anyway, so, I'm, that's, so that's the next one that's still in place and I'm totally on the right side of that deal. I mean, just anyway.
0: Well, I've been sued way more than one time, but... <laughs> To show you how good the KW training is, I'm going to do a little humble brag right here. And it's going to be amazing how much I've turned my life around. I am the most compliant in this office by far. Talk about turning over a new fucking leaf, right? (laughs) Compared to the old me, to the new me. uh, And it's not me doing it, by the way. I have great people working for me doing it. And I make that a priority is like whatever... Let's it right every time, every single time. So we're not, but it's not me actually doing it. So I like short up my weakness. But just to show you how far I've come, guys, <laughs> I find out that in command and everything we do, we are the most in compliance in this uh, Troy office. You like yeah, everything to do everything right. Well, I also play hard. So you don't
2: get paid unless you get the paperwork in right. <laughs> well, and doing
0: everything right, and then having it all in command, and doing what they want us to do. Right cuz I play hard in my negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> and if you mess with me, I'm definitely going to reach out and touch you. So if you're going to be like that, yeah. you better have your shit all, you better be doing every single thing mm-hmm. you possibly can right if you're going to play hard. Yeah, cuz right. there're going to be people like you're saying unpeeling and taking a look and look that's another reason why I don't double in any transactions. No. You're never going to say, I, I work for my seller, or if I, if I do take a rare buyer, I have a team of agents now that take buyers, but some almost always sellers. Like, I work for my seller. Let me hook you up with somebody else, because I'm totally trying to extract as much money as possible out of you for my seller, and I'm not going to pretend that it's any different. So you can't even get me on yeah. on that side. I try and keep that that, and that's way different than I used to be. So thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to circle back to some books because you guys were talking about and we're almost done, I promise. But you've read a lot of books and it doesn't necessarily maybe books, publications, podcast, whatever, right? But what would you recommend that people read or, or listen to? You made a great suggestion earlier, Steve, to go if you're an agent. Whatever your board is, go listen to all the legal stuff, right? But is there anything you would recommend people read or listen to or maybe attend as well as young agents or investors or middle up and coming agents and investors that, that had a profound impact on your life that you, you just keep thinking about over and over again?
4: Well,
1: I'm going to piggyback off of what uh, Lathan had said before. And I'm not a, I don't have the time to read, I just don't. With the way my life is right now. And uh, so I listen to audiobooks. I yeah, mean, me too. I'm in the car a lot, more than I want to be sometimes, but I'm in the car. So, and, you know, two of the, you know, if you want to hoot up the KW model, right? I mean, the two books that are still relevant that are, have gone through different cycles are, are The Shift and The Millionaire Agent. You can read those at any time and they are still relevant when you really, I mean, you've been around as long as I do have they're still pertinent so read them and understand them uh we do a great job on breakouts on those we do classes on the books so everybody can read chapters at a time and talk about it so um that, that's the extent of my uh, lately my reading has been just focused on that um but uh, yeah that, the more you can expand and read uh, obviously the more you're going to grow
0: yeah, turn your car into university on wheels, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah don't waste that time listening to pop music or radio or. Stupid commercials. Yeah, comedy. whatever. <laughs> fill, fill your brain. Ron?
2: Uh, one of the best books I've listened to, you know, in the late, or probably like seven, eight months, and this is from an investment perspective, is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which is a. Chris Voss was, a, uh, was an FBI negotiator for terrorists. And he's got such a way of. He he would when he negotiated with them, he would say they would give him their demands, right? Because they're obviously adversarial. He'd say, "Well, I don't know how to get you there," and then he would just listen, right? And then he he, they would say, "Well, I want five million bucks." He said, "Well, how am I going to do that for you? Like, like he's gonna like go to the bank, dude? Right? That's (laughs) the obvious question, right? But what he's trying to do is trying to get them down." And to have some reasonable reasonableness about it, right? But he's such a, uh, he would do the, ah, you know, I don't think, you know, that's not <laughs> where I'm at. You know, that's not where I, I don't think I can get, because he's usually working for a family or something, right? Because they've kidnapped some people, right? So he's like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can get that past the family, And one of my acquisition guys loves that book because it's the the other tactic is the negative pullback, right? Is that when you take it away from that seller. I love that. Oh it's like it works every time. I do that with you many times when we're texting back about offers. I just say just stay put. Or reject it. Mm -hmm. You know, just like get out of the way, right? And then they always come back like they don't want to do that. I
0: love rejecting offers for that reason, <laughs> yes. by the way. I'm almost gleeful. I always check with Ron because first of all, I'm learning. Uh, second of all, it's his money and I submit every offer anyway. I definitely have an idea what I want to do, but every time he's like rejected, I'm like, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I was going to really do was. too. And I don't even, and then sometimes it's just the buyer, you know, because the buyers are just, we know those guys. And, yeah. You know, there's a couple of few guys back in the day that used to blast offers just 10, 15 a day when you had a bunch of listings. Um, actually, he's become one of my best wholesale buyers at the moment. That guy, I won't mention his name, but you would you would know him.
1: J J G. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually he's actually become one of my best buyers. He always closes. Uh, That's he, awesome. In all those offers for nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I used
2: to. I've gotten him to a spot where he doesn't negotiate with me anymore. He just gives me his best number. So, all I got to do is say yes or no. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I try to, I think that's what I try to teach most guys so they don't have to get off the subject of the books. But I try to teach most investors that come to me. I right? love tangents, by the way. Is just to just tell me what you want. Because if, if you come to me every time and beat me up, I'm going to beat you up every time. Just come to me and say, Ron, and don't give me the 10 stories about what's wrong with it. Yeah. I already know that.
1: <laughs> I've been there. I
4: got a
2: 100 so photos you know. that you looked at. <laughs> Just tell me what you're willing to pay. And if I'm willing to sell it for that, then let's just do it. Right. And if you text me that, then I'll remember. So maybe when I get down to that spot where I want to take that deal, I call you. Right. That kind of stuff. But um, from the books for you know, the negotiate, I love negotiating like that. I love human nature. I'm very good at the face to face talking to you, seeing what you're thinking. You know, and I tend to mirror people. I was thinking about that when we were talking about sometimes, like what Lath was saying about how he treats people. When somebody's adversarial with him, he just kind of lets them talk, right? I, I really have to, when they become adversarial, because I tend to mirror very easily, right? Especially when you're talking to a seller who, who isn't adversarial and you're just trying to get to some place in the middle of a number, I, I would just mirror them. You know, like I always just did it yesterday because I haven't been on appointments in a while. I just asked the lady, I already knew what the ARV was. I just, I said, what do you think it's worth if I were to fix all this stuff up that you and I just looked at?
0: That's a great question. Robbie. What do you
2: think it's worth? Or I want them to, I want to start from their number. Yeah. Right. Because then when you drive it down for the reasons that you do. And the whole cap, the whole calculator and the phone word too, by, by the way. So I, she, I said, she says 90,000. I said, yeah, you know what? I agree with that. But I think it's going to cost us about 25,000 to fix this. 25? I just put fifteen into it. Well, you know something; those are great fifteen thousand dollar upgrades that you did. Otherwise,
4: it would have been 40. right. Well, oh, by the way, you need <laughs> floors.
2: You've got a, you've got a, you've got a really nice bathroom now because that's where you put a lot of your money. But the furnace doesn't work because you've got space heaters all over the house. Uh, you know, just all the. <laughs> just, I've been very. I'd be very nice about it, and then I do the math on the phone. All right, I got to make thirty five percent, ma'am. That's what I got to make. Yeah, this is
0: the Ron move, by the way. What he's talking about is he literally pulls out his phone and calculator and in front of them does this whole thing and then turns around and shows them on the calculator. So, yeah, it's like a, it's a patented Ron move.
4: So I
2: do 90,000 times 65% was like 57-something. You minus out the 25,000 I told her, that comes out the three five. So I, I show it to her on the phone, right? I say, well, you know, I'd be willing to give you 33. She says, well, it says thirty-three-five on your phone.
4: <laughs> so <laughs> I, got a deal.
2: I said, right, I knew right there I had it.
0: All Ooh, like right. yeah. all right, you can have the thirty-three. Yes, yeah, right. You're right. I'm sorry. That's yeah. my bad. I was looking too fast. Oh, so, so <laughs> let's way, write if, it up. If
2: we got a deal, here's what's going to happen. So I go through the the spiel. but I need to go take some photos. So I go do take all the photos, and I come back and say, you no, know, is there anything else no, is vacant? Says, can we put a lockbox on here? You got a key on you, right? Cause you walked in the door. We can put it in there. I'll give you the code. You can come back whenever you want. Cause this way you'll never have to come back here ever again. So my point to all that is that's the negotiating style of what you can learn and then mirror people. Cause she was being nice to me. I'd actually, and this, it was an easier deal than what it appears is because I had bought a house from her in Hazel Park like two years ago. She called me back. Even better. Reswell oh man. Farm, right? That's great. She already great. knew we could do it. We did it the way she wanted. And all I had to do was get to her number. Um, well, interesting enough, she was at thirty in her mind because she told me. So I was thinking thirty-five was a good number, so I can live with 33.5. 30, 5 Isn't <laughs> great? <laughs> My assistant will send you the contract in the email. And, oh, and, yeah. do so, Yeah. Oh, you don't
0: get signed in front of them when you do that. You just send it. Yeah. She wasn't signed. or the seller. Ah, uh, okay.
2: Okay. Yeah, but you're right. If it, she were the seller, I would have done it right there. All right. Yeah. So I was gonna she fall down. Yeah. Scan yeah. from the calculator to the. Oh salary. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> we just talk about technology. Deal's done. It's often moving.
0: Yeah, that's a big difference between a listing and a wholesale deal. Get that damn wholesale signed now. Like a listing, not such a huge thing. It's more like farming, a lot of patience. And then you eventually get the dang thing signed. But yeah, the wholesale thing. So. And then, of
2: course, I've spoken about it before. I'm a, I'm a very religious person. I read my Bible every day. Um, I bury myself in that thing and pray. You know, because sometimes I just, just tell my wife a couple days ago, I said, Lord, just put the money in my pocket. I got some bills coming. Just put the money in my pocket. <laughs> I'll promise I'll pay the bill with you. <laughs> I'm not going to shortchange you. I <laughs> swear <lot> to God. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you your 10% at the end of the year. Uh, but the way, yo. I mean, I'm, I, I guess in all seriousness, I do live my life with those principles. hundred percent of the time I take her of my fam, I take her God first, my wife, and then my family. That's what I do. And God has blessed me in that process to. To have those priorities proper, I think where a lot of people miss that is they put their their kids and family first before their wife. I think you put your wife first, your kids come along.
0: I agree with that. I don't care if anybody else disagrees with me. Your wife takes care of the kids, you take care of the wife, and uh, doesn't mean you can't help take care of the kids, but like. Hey, man, that's just kind of. I, I could watch nature channels too. Like, I know how this thing works, right? Mm-hmm. I could look at humans or animals as well, right? So, it's funny too, because even as a non believer, I've read the Bible front to back five times. That's gonna yeah. Get you one day. Ah, man, because I don't alive, You <laughs> guys, You guys think so? But, <laughs> do have, uh, do you have children? no children yet. No, right. no. Too many dogs and that's too many cats. Gonna yeah.
1: I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. Too many dogs. i that happens. Okay. okay. That'll change your life.
0: I Well, I've seen it change other people's lives. So I believe you.
1: You can go so. through that whole experience oh. and you don't. That's crazy too. So yeah. that, you know, now I'm experiencing it as a grandfather.
4: It's even, oh yeah, I'm so looking even, forward to that. It's <laughs> even,
1: I mean, I'm a total wreck when it comes to like emotional things anymore. I mean, I used to be pretty stoic. Now I was like, I start talking about something. I'm just, you know, teary-eyed, uh, just talking about because you, again, Ron's point. The older you get, the more you realize that, you know, I mean, every day's a gift. Use it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That it is a gift, and you know, appreciate those people that are around you that have shaped your life. You know, never, never forget, you know, your parents and the people that have influenced you or, you know, got you to where you're at. I mean, it, it all comes with teamwork, right? A lot of people molding you along the way and that's uh but you know, nothing's more important than family yeah. Nothing.
0: well I've tried to take examples of that and that's kind of what I focus on my reading and my and my rereading I am a reader and I read constantly and I get a lot out of it and I, I know there's a small number of books it's less than 20 that I keep coming back to over and over and over again and maybe I'll eventually uh, publish um, that list, but it's the same idea. Is to try and gather wisdom because there's not that much difference from a human five thousand years ago to a human now, or a human fifty thousand years ago. Like, uh, and as far as time is concerned, that's one in one second. You know, and it took a long time to figure out some of these things, right? And it's just sitting there, just sitting there for you to pick up a book mm-hmm. and read it. And then the best books are the ones we. As Not just me personally, but as humans, we keep coming back to time and time again. So if it's one of those books, I'm going to read it and then reread it and reread it and reread it. And and back to our quote, you're never the same person twice when you're you're reading the book. And you can borrow other humans because, I mean, these lessons are as old as time, right? Like it's the same stuff. Adam looked just like us. It's the same <laughs> stuff over right. and over and over. Adam uh, Yeah. Technology oh, changes. Right. Houses are nicer. We're not sitting out in the cold or wearing furs. But right. We're still human. Right. <laughs> we still have all this human weakness and baggage and everything else, and these human leadership problems and whatever else family problems we have. And we can borrow and learn from other people's experiences so that's one of the reasons why i read so much so
2: i think one of the best business books was it's called uh rocket fuel which is a business it's not a theory but it's just a practice where like like Lath is a visionary right he needs the book says you need to if you're a visionary you need an integrator which is a process guy because just like he admitted He's the lousy at the follow up, right? But if he delegates that follow up to somebody, then he can still cultivate that relationship because that's what he does. So that's what we do in our business. So I'm the visionary a guy named Jeremiah is the integrator. Uh, Matthew, my son, will eventually. He's kind of both at the moment. He's still developing because he's he's only twenty one. Yeah, he's young. a young ass man. Yeah, he's, he's got a bright
0: year. future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: And then th- I've got you know three or four admin people that. They just know what to do. And then there's my, my acquisitions guy, which you know, who he is, he's, he's like, he is lousy at the follow up, but he's a great negotiator. He can look at people in the eye and do exactly what I just talked about. Can kind of get to the middle and make them like it, you know, like it was their idea. Yeah. And I, I just marvel at sometimes the deals we get coming through like, yes, <laughs> because what happens in our business when the deal comes in from him, I have to still review it. And sometimes I don't even have to take two minutes to look at the numbers. And say, oh yeah, we're doing this deal. Boom, it's off and it's approved, and off we go. Or if I have to dig into it, then sometimes I go to look at it if it's got a septic field or something, just to put my eyes on it. But generally, I don't have to do that with with him. Um, so it just it just makes the delegation like to lace point. The delegation is is necessary to grow and to expand and to. You know, to to, to you can't uh, do it all yourself. Scale. The scale, the scale, scaling is the word.
0: Yeah, yeah. We all have many weaknesses, right? Plug yeah. plug those weaknesses. That's actually something KW's taught me a lot about too. They they have whole systems for it. I drink about seventy percent of the Kool Aid and push the other thirty percent off. But I'll give the seventy percent the due it deserves because it is solid. That's why I've read the Millionaire Real Estate Investor on the podcast. I've read the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. I've read the Shift. I've read the One Thing. And I continue to reread them. I just finished rereading The Millionaire Real Estate Investor because I finally finished my angry read on the podcast after two years. And I was mad at myself because I found another couple parts in there. I'm like, damn it, man. Who was sitting here the whole time. I was like, how many times have I read this book? Which is why I try and encourage people, too, to go back and review it, at least the great books, right? Whatever you consider the great books. Yeah go back and continue to reread it because i keep finding stuff every time and i do i'm like i get fiery too it's like i'm ready to shoot from the hip at any time and i gotta like manage that (laughs) i almost threw the book when i was like damn i was sitting here again i just read this a year ago how did i not see that you know so we're kind of blind as humans too as we go through life
2: comes from the angle of it's not a killer book it's a it's a it's a I'm not going to say life purpose, but it, it is how you should do real estate. Yes. Whether it's Keller or not. Yep. Because I was a Remax agent for many years. Remax has some of the similar book. That's a Remax book. It's not a, it's, it's not a real estate book or generic. Though. Yeah. And Keller Williams writes those Keller, Gary and Papazan and a few of those others that write those books. That's what they, they write it from that perspective. And of course the upper echelon culture is. What it needs to be, right? It trickles down into these offices.
4: Yeah. Man.
2: When agents come to me because I have my own brokerage, when they come to me, I tell them to go to Keller. Yeah. They want to do retail business. that like Keller is the best place to go. Especially well, if you're way, interested you need in your teams when you get in there. By the way.
4: Yeah. I'm
0: right in, Ron. Wall Raven, yeah, still he's, still he's still vested. Yeah, he's still good. Still makes six or seven grand a year with a couple of them are still in. It's yeah. pretty good, <laughs> That's man. It's not yeah. bad. <laughs> That's I know, and it's real profit share too, not oh, some yeah. fake fucking stock pump and dump scam, right? right. Yeah, yeah, no. Ex- I mean, you know. yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It never makes any money. Like right. the office has to make money, but it, there are not that many bad offices, and if you're in a bad office, move, get to a good office, and then it. Life takes care of well, not itself. Not to mention
2: Keller won't let it stand anyway.
0: No. Right? Yeah, they get rid of them anyway. No, they're not going to tolerate They top grade. And that's in the book, top grading, if you want to know. I have a million more questions I want to ask, but I'm going to let you guys go. But before I do, I kind of feel bad life has gone, so maybe I'll just pitch him a little harder. Is there anything you want to talk about, plug, share, anything? This is like, thank you for coming on my podcast Now you get time for whatever you're interested in, whatever you want to plug or if you want to sell or whatever you want to share, whatever's on your mind. I would love to hear it and the audience would love to hear it. And it could be anything. You don't have to sell anything if you don't want to, but.
1: You know, I think, uh, you know, and as I mentioned it before is that you need to invest in the business and that might be as simple as time and energy in the beginning. And then you're going to reinvest in the business from there. So put the time. Into learning the business is key. You know, no, no. agents come in. I go, oh, I got a dumb question. I go, no, nah, it's not dumb. You know, it's not dumb because I don't want you to get into trouble, right? So ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Send me an email. You're not sure, right? We want you to maneuver through this stuff and and, and feel comfortable and that you're 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 hitting the ground running, not crawling. Okay, and that and that's. But it, I can't tell you how much like you just need to show up.
4: Yeah. And, and it kind do of manages
1: itself at that point you know and yeah. if you're willing to do that and, and and put that energy into it right and that really doesn't cost you a whole lot in the beginning uh, because the, obviously the, as a brokerage you're you want everybody to grow because that's how we all grow right so and that that's the beauty of the sharing piece too is that you know it's not a hidden society if you know you, you want to know how to do 10 million you go talk to this guy and he'll tell you how I do 10 yep. million. I make so many phone calls. I gotta do get and in front of so many people. backwards. That's yeah. All. yeah. It's just <laughs> you know, it's a it's a great business. So love it, embrace it, and you know, dig into it. Don't be afraid that you're gonna fall because you're gonna pick yourself back up, and there's people here to help pick you back up. So mm. it's it's a great way to make a living.
0: I love it. It's a people's business.
2: I think that. What I've noticed recently is it's kind of easy again. And a lot of these, because, of course, I'm a wholesaler, so I kind of gravitate to those guys. Or they certainly gravitate to me. Is I just find, just humble yourself. Don't be like, you're you're not the best guy on the planet because you did 10 deals already. You just ain't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so instead of going up there talking about your check or you got this deal. And have you lost any money yet? Yeah. Have you actually had to put money at the closing? Or did you have to, did that seller get so mad at you? He's suing you now because you lied through your teeth at that, at that contract signing. Like, did you just tell, if you're not going to buy it, just tell them that, you know, so that you can get some business that's in with some integrity. You know, there's humility in my opinion is the number one thing you can do in any part of life, but it works really well in real estate because it drives those people to you for that connection, for the networking side of that, all of that. Right. I just, it's I always marvel at these guys that do one or two deals, and all of a sudden they think they're the best guy on the planet. Or, and by the way, put some pants on, like, (laughs) like dress, dress like you walk into a you walk into a seller's house with sweatpants on and a a tank top. He ain't gonna sell you. No, don't do that. Yeah, pull up in a pull up in a Escalade, Cadillac. Don't do that. No, he ain't gonna sell you his up. Although you look like you're rich with that Escalade, but then he's thinking, well, this guy's like making lots of money, right? Like, don't do that. You know, th- th- re- expect that perception to be true. Right. I, one time I, I had bought, uh, the $700, like, uh, it was a Cavalier, like an 08 or 07 Cavalier and it had pain issues. Right. My wife was like, you need to buy a different car. I said, "Well, when I pull up in that car, it looks like I need money." <laughs> <laughs> they feel sorry for me, right? Yeah. I mean, it's industry. Of course, I am going to usually be an auto mechanic. I can fix it, or I know what's going on. And I just leave it alone, right? But I just remember. I just thought that I am not trying to impress anybody. I just want to because people always they'll ask me. So why do you do this, Ron? I do it to feed my family. That's it. That's yeah. all. I, that's the only reason I do this. Do I need? Do I make a lot? Do I make more than most? Yeah. I do, but you know what? I got some good staff, and if you ask them about who Ron is, they'll have a good they They'll have a good rapport with me, and to tell you who Ron is.
0: Yeah, up to one a.m. and up at five a.m. too. I think you earned it as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys. I really pre- I know it took a long time to do this. Thank you, thank you so much. I want to thank my guests, Ron Wallraven, Steve Ketseros, and Lath, who's not here. So I'm going to sell him hard too. I'm going to I'm going to try and channel Lath. I want to thank you guys for your time today. Thanks for coming out. Reach out to Ron at waymarkhomes.com. You can hit him up on Twitter at at Ron Wallraven, or go to facebook.com forward slash Ron dot Walraven. You can h- reach out to Steve. He is numbers two four eight two two nine four six six three, or you can send him an email, Steve at stevecateroscateros dot com. Sorry, sir. And then Lath, I'm going to sell Lathe too. He is a is a great broker. I can't believe he's impatient because I know I have tested him. I negotiate hard quite often, and he's been exceedingly patient with me, and he has helped me a lot. So if you're, if you're ever thinking about becoming an agent or something like that, or you have any questions for him, or you just want to know more about the business, I I highly recommend. He's an excellent broker. I love working with him. He really does care about his people and he really is growing his team. It's been fun to watch these, uh, these sage guys start things all over again. It helps keep me humble too, when they start doing new things too. So reach out to Lathe 248-530-7275, 248-530-7275, lathe at calllathe.com, which I still love that website. It's so simple and easy to remember. Um, calllathe.com, or you can hit them up on facebook.com forward slash calllathe. And um, these guys are really cool too. So if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor, reach out to these guys. If there's any business you can do with them or anything you could share that really helps me get them on the podcast too. And it's a great way for you to say thank you for taking the time to share. You can also rate and review this on iTunes. Cost it costs you nothing. So if you're sitting at home broke, just getting started, One way you can kind of contribute and give back and not just be someone hanging on expecting something for free is you just go rate and review me on iTunes, and that really helps get this out. You can also just share the podcast with others, all right? So I really appreciate that, guys. If you're interested in reaching out to me, go to renegadedetroit.com, meetup.com forward slash investors. That's if you're interested in attending any of the local meetings. Um, you're already listening to this podcast right now, so you're aware of that. Or you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. And, of course, 313-600-2133. Shout out to my boy Joe Randall from Mortgage One, the official sponsor of Renegade Detroit Investors. Um, he bought us a bunch of cool stuff so you can actually hear in the room because the meeting got so big that the previous speakers weren't getting there. And now we're recording and putting on Instagram and YouTube as well. And that was all made possible by Joe. He's not just some sponsor I grabbed. He earned that shit. He does a ton of business with a ton of investors. And he's finally a guy that I really like that I can stand behind. So it was a perfect thing. So reach out to Joe at least to say thank you. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know there are a lot of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, and bad habits that you may have to undo, right? Pick a goal, stick with it, and do something every day that gets you closer. Don't give
1: up. All right, guys? And until the next podcast or until the next uh, meeting, crush it.